If you're looking for the best horror, thriller, sci-fi and WTF audio fiction this side of the apocalypse, then you should listen to The Other Stories. With over 500 stories on the podcast feed already and news stories dropping every single Monday morning, The Other Stories is your new best friend. Check out The Other Stories today on any and all podcast platforms or head to theotherstories.net. After all, these aren't the stories your mother used to tell you. These are The Other Stories. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to The Horror Hangout, a podcast where film fans watch the best and worst horror movies of all time and talk about them. My name is Ben Errington, and today I'm joined by a very special guest. Adam Murray is a writer, critic, broadcaster, and programmer involved in various film collectives and festivals, including the Bristol Black Horror Club. Welcome to the show, Adam. Hello. Hi, Ben. Great to be here. Thank you for having me on. It's a real honour and a pleasure Oh, um, man, the honour and a pleasure. Honour and a pleasure is all ours. I say ours. Uh, it's just me today. No, Andy. He is otherwise uh, engaged. Um, as I said to Adam before, he sends his... I think I said he sends his condolences, but he's not dead. He's he's alive and well. I saw him mere hours ago, and considering he lives in Scotland, that doesn't happen very often. Uh, so we did cross paths, and I said, you coming to this podcast recording? He was like, ah, what? So, well, I said, that was a no. I'm joking. What? I'm joking. He's not that um, unprofessional. Incredibly we'll unprofessional. To, uh, we'll all catch up. We'll all catch up. We'll all get together. I'm sure we will. Hopefully in real life, that would, that would be good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Adam, um, it's been a long time coming. You, you're somebody that's been on our list of get this guy on the podcast. Uh, we need to we need to cover one of his favorite films um, for for a while. So thank you so much for taking the time to do it. That's great to be here. And it's and it's a great film. Lots of stuff to kind of uh, unpack and get into. Um, it's a it's it's a juicy one. It to get is, into. yeah. I think I really do think um, that it's it's maintained its kind of like rawness and its urgency and its um it's it's hundred percent, isn't it? It's still a heavy hitter, and I think like it's still incredibly relevant isn't it like a lot of the stories that it tells um and i think i mentioned just 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 before we start recording that i'm quite late to the game in terms of anthology movies like i only saw creep show for the first time probably a couple of years ago 
Um, I don't know why I've all, I've sort of steered clear of some of the big heavy hitters, considering I am into anthologies as as a sort of genre. But um, yeah, this this one just I feel like proper took me by. This is the first time I've seen it, so oh. yeah. going to be pretty interesting to talk to some to talk to somebody who's obviously seen it a lot and as as a a very personal relationship with it. Um, but yeah, so have you you've seen this with a crowd before? You've introduced you've introduced um, the showing of it yeah i mean we were able to i'd kind of i'd collaborated with um the Stormjar guys who are based in bristol as well if you've not come across them yet they're absolutely superb um james and sophie just super talented guys um and they're they're kind of really interested in creating like immersive horror experiences oh wow okay we're, we were able to do like a like an all nighter at the watershed. Um, oh man! So we, we were able to we were able to screen Tales from the Hood on that evening. Um, but I mean, you know, imagine screening this particular film in, in that IMAX space in Bristol. I mean, I think it would be really kind of visually stunning because it, I mean, oh uh, yeah, that'd be great. Bigger screen, the better. I think. The, yeah, out of the trilogy of Tales from the Hood films. You know, I, I I think Rusty and Darren's, you know, ninety five Tales in the Hood is just it really is outstanding. It's a, it's a fine piece of of work, you know, um, and you know by even by today's standards, you know, if you, th- if you think about, um, I mean, it's such a like analog film, you know, mm. brilliant special effects artists, great, oh, yeah, amazing, you know, great producer, great director. It's a, it, it's, you know, we were we were just sort of talking about this beforehand, right? It's a really outstanding, like cast as well. Um, yeah, yeah, like a really accomplished cast. And it seems like that hap- that is to be said for the sequels as well. Again, I've not seen the sequels, but what have we got? Keith David in number two, yeah, uh, Tony Todd in number three. So some real like heavy hitters. Um, and one thing that really did strike me about this, obviously, we will get it when we go into the main part of the uh of the review main part of the episode but the wraparound story sometimes for anthologies can be the bit that is the make or break that can be the bit where if you're not invested in the wraparound story and i'll talk about recent films such as the vhs movies if the wraparound story isn't quite there or it's not memorable you don't remember it like what was the wraparound story again i don't really remember then i think the whole film can kind of fall apart and it feels like you're just going from segment to segment going okay what's the next one is this the last one come on wrap it up but with this one because the wraparound story is so good you're almost like despite the fact that individual stories are so great when you go back to the wraparound you're like oh yeah okay now we get to see what happens next with this story which is just as interesting mm-hmm. um and obviously yeah so it's clarence williams the third isn't it um his, his performance his performance is great but i feel like in the last few moments of his performance i was i was on the edge of my seat like i was like this is this is intense sweaty <laughs> but you know intense um so yeah i mean yeah that's what i kind of meant the wraparound story is so good that i think it just everything else just slots in in perfectly absolutely i mean the, you know without giving anything away it really is one hell of a reveal and it's a real kind of gut punch uh ender to it 
but it's, yeah. it's great. It's it's um. I mean, I don't know what I was expecting. As I said, it was the first time seeing it. I didn't know what I was expecting. But like, even though that reveal isn't like, you know, it, it's entirely within the realms of possibility within this universe. However, I was still like, oh, no way. I can't believe this is how it's how it's going. Well, I mean, you know, um, talking to Rusty Cundy, the director of the film, I mean, that was just a delight because he's a, he's oh, wow, a okay. gentleman. You know, he's a really lovely guy. And, um, you know, they, they really wanted the film to be like um, an African-American Hammer film. And it does, mm. you know, it, I've, when writing about it, I mean, I've called it like Afro-Gothic. Nice. It yeah. really does have like, I like it, it. the kind of atmosphere um, that these guys have created. Um and I, and I think it's it, you know it's it's Rusty's wraparound story that really does make it you know threads all the different stories together, um, and it is the the kind of strength of Clarence Williams III's performance. You know, he really kind of he anchors it with Mister Sims. It's a it's a real kind of like uh, like standout cult performance. I mm. think. Um, and he's yeah, he's unhinged and, and creepy. <laughs> He's an, he's unhinged. He's creepy, and he's not letting these guys push him around. You know, stack ball and bulldog. Yeah. I feel like I'd be confusing if one of you was called ball and one of you was called bulldog. Ball b a l l. You're ball, but no, no. But I mean bulldog. I'm just shortening it. You know, confusing if there's just three of you. <laughs> but but Afro Gothic. I mean, yeah, I like I, I like it. I mean, how how would you compare that to say? to black exploitation if you're going to say afro gothic is one thing black exploitation is another thing in terms of the major differences yeah see that that's really fascinating because uh, i'm slowly coming more and more to the conclusion um that you, you know black exploitation is kind of it's a really interesting term because really it's it's only really talking about a, a grouping of films for from a specific time um mm. talking to um William Crane. So Mr. Crane, director of Blackula, he was like, you know, you know, I, I didn't make a black exploitation film. You know, I, I made oh, right. a, a black horror film, you know, and he really did. Um he, he made a, a, a authentic uh black vampire movie. Um and you he, spoke to him as well. Blade, yeah, he's absolutely again, uh wow. absolute gentleman really lovely guy. So there's a real kind of lineage, I think, mm. between certain sort of filmmakers, African-American filmmakers that have kind of experimented with horror cinema. So there's a real kind of camaraderie there. Um, is Black Sorry, sorry. To me is kind of, um, yeah, I think it, it, it does have a similar vibe to like, uh, I think, House That Drip Blood. Mm-hmm. Or you know, um, Doctor Terror's House of Horrors as well. It's it, it's definitely good. It's in that it's in the same sort of lineage as as those great kind of. Um... Does it feel like black exploitation is usually films that have like a hint of, I guess, like parody to them? But are they usually like are they usually like made by white filmmakers? And the reason they're called black exploitation is because it seems like they're taking advantage of certain yeah, I, I, tropes. I, 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 
I think it's more about means of production. And it's really interesting because certain films, I think, are kind of, um, are labelled within the kind of uh, black exploitation era just by kind of existing around the same time. I see, I see. I think, you know, um, but, I mean, is Shaft really a black exploitation film? I don't think so. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a really good detective yeah. Yeah, um, you know, Blackula is a is a black vampire film. It's not really a black exploitation film. Mm. So, to, you, you know, it, it specifically that, but would that are, be? You know, I think there are there are films that are black exploitation in the sense of means of production. Yeah, um, I mean that, that's what that's what I was trying to get at. What my understanding of it, you know, if it's, it's a film made by a black filmmaker and it's um. And it's like black stories are at their very heart, and like it wears it, the, the, its blackness on its sleeve. In its set, in its sense, it can't really be black exploitation because these are telling stories of yeah. black characters that need to be. That was me trying to understand it from my point of view. Oh, that's that's spot um, on, absolutely spot on, really. You know, and that's uh, what this film feels like to me. Like that's that's why I think it's. Uh, what's what I think also find is fascinating. Like you can you can see in this film how it's like how it's influenced like modern works of horror um there's so much get out especially in the um is it kkk comeuppance no sorry hardcore convert well actually both of those yeah that's both of those there's an element of clockwork orange yeah oh yeah it's like homage in in that final chapter incredibly Um, difficult to watch like this was you know it wasn't the gore and the and the the effects and the blood and it was it was a few moments in this one where I was a bit like oh god no I don't know if I can I think I feel like I need to look away yeah it's it's super intense um, yeah I mean KKK comeuppance is is kind of like a play on Gremlins yeah oh yeah because, uh, like at the time Darren and and um, and Rusty were sort of saying like they were like, you know, they, they were they were kind of like if you break it down, uh, Gremlins is actually quite it 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 can be perceived as sort of like um, almost like a, a kind of like a racist concept, you know, because the Gremlin yeah. is the other, the foreigner. Yeah, it could be the N word. It could so they were playing with all of those kinds of like ideas and and having the um. I've forgotten how to pronounce their names. I think it's the Chioda brothers who basically did the special effects for Killer Clowns and Critters. Oh, wow. Okay. So, I see. You know, um, they were able to get so much time. I mean, you can see, talking about like, um, you know, dollars on screen, it's, a be- mm. it's, it's beautifully shot. You know, the costumes and set design, it's fantastic. Um, you know, there's real kind of, Yes, pyrotechnics, explosions, and you know, fantastic special effects. So I, mm. I you know, Rusty is always kind of like really proud of that. That like, you know, all you know, production value, everything's up on on the mm. on that screen. Yeah, I mean, it feels like it's nineteen ninety five. So sometimes, um, like obviously eighties movies, you can kind of like you can see it from a mile away. You can kind of understand that. Sometimes the things that are like in the nineties that take advantage of these certain types of effects can att- occasionally feel a bit dated. Obviously, depending on which film. Um, but yeah, I feel like this this really does hold up. Um, 
both effects wise, but also like, yeah, performances and, and everything, everything like that. Is it again, another one where I'm a bit like, I can't believe it's taking me this long to get around to it. As I said, creep show only saw recently, Twi I think like creep show two twilight zone movie only saw recently. So all of these anthologies I've kind of like been working through. So yeah, definitely keen to see. Oh, wait, I know we're going to talk about this when we get into the, into the movie as well. Soundtrack is great. Like the, the score was great. Um, Christopher Young, I think um, I'm, I'm reading here, did the score. The sort of like main theme, it almost reminded me of uh, the main theme from Signs. Where it was, uh, I don't remember who did that. But yeah, it reminded me of that, like the very the stabby violins and stuff like that. It was, it was, it was incredible. Um, okay. It's a great hip hop, uh, like a great hip hop soundtrack attached to the film as well. You know, there's, um, we've got like Scarf, I'm, I'm looking here actually back at some work that I've written about it. But yeah, yeah, you've got Gravediggers, Wu Tang, um, just legends. Just looking now at the, at the track list. Face of Ghetto Boys. It's like, it's really like, you know, for, for Rusty to have been able to kind of combine all of that talent in that moment, mm -hmm. um, it, it is, yeah, I think it's a really kind of historical. Do you, do you remember the first time you saw this film? Um, yes, I do. And it, yeah, it was, it, it was a, a huge gut punch um and it, it took me ages to see it in the cinema i mean the first time i saw it was dvd mm. and the, the the kind of the film's release was around the kind of time of the of the beginning of the dvd as a format um so i definitely remember that uh that kind of period of time really clearly um but yeah it's yeah, I think it's kind of um, yeah. What I like about it more than anything is that it, um, you know, it kind of it doesn't it doesn't waste any time mm. in creating a kind of atmosphere, you know. And you're right. It's that that you know the first chapter of the wraparound is the guys, um, you know, discover the discover the the the, the kind of the the morgue, <laughs> the mortuary. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it doesn't take long for you to be transported into that world. Yeah. That world building. There's something about that um, that has that kind of really classic horror feel to it you know before mm. you know it you're, you're kind of you're, you're not you're completely yeah. engaged in what's going on and also like the wraparound does a good job of making the stories that are being told like relevant to those characters and relevant to the story sometimes the wraparound in anthologies can be a bit like right so here's another one this isn't really re relevant to anything but it's scary and then and then you kind of go right okay now back to the wraparound okay now here's another one whereas this feels like it kind of lives and breathes in the same sort of universe and you understand the connection that these characters would have. Um, and, and, it, and the story drives on with each one, you know, it's not, again, we don't return to the wraparound and go, well, that was the end of that until next week, which obviously we do get with some other things. Um, uh, also, I mean, I, but... you know, um, you, you mentioned George Romero's Creepshow. Mm -hmm. uh, I think, yeah, I, I, I think, 
these two films side, you know, side by side, are, are just make a fantastic sort of double bill. Mm. Um, if you want to kind of deep dive into into kind of like horror anthology, which would be a great that would be a cracking all nighter or a great evening, yeah, readings of films. But yeah, it I would. That they definitely have the same the, the same attention to detail and the same kind of energy, you know, and the same kind of world yeah. building. Same like DNA, it feels like, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, awesome. Um, one thing, obviously, we've been waxing lyrical already about uh, Tales, from the, Tales from the Hood. Uh, I did want to talk about the Bristol uh, Black Horror Club and what I wanted to talk about there was how, how that came to start, uh, how long has it been going for, um, and obviously what is the the main the legit the message behind it and everything how how you're moving forwards with it yeah so i mean it's something that it's a real kind of like passion project i've been um a programmer with a, a kind of bristol based um a black film collective called uh con revolution um for and i think it's uh, the 10 years uh, anniversary oh, wow. year. so that that's I think they've got some very cool things planned for that um okay. and I just got to, to to kind of like a point where I, I, and as a collective you, you know um their kind of mission statement was, was to kind of screen uh you know cinema from um black African Caribbean and African diaspora so really, that was like a background in in more sort of like art house cinema, um, and sort of and sort of world cinema as well. But I just have ha- have this kind of yearning of wanting to to kind of go back to sort of genre. So for me, it's kind of like well, I mean, as you can see in the background, like a, my other kind of like uh, we were talking about this earlier. I kind of call it a guilty passion, but you're right; it's it's not a guilty passion if you you know. Kill your bones. Kind of like. For me, it's like, uh, yeah, sort of art, art house, cinema, horror, lots of horror, and then Star Wars. Um, but I, but what I really wanted to do was kind of explore genre film as as like a programmer curator, which I mm. which I'd never done before, and and really had always wanted to do. You, you know, I mean, like it's. It, sort of huge passion to be able to screen horror in general um and then to kind of you know you know back to your original question to kind of frame it curate it through a different lens which is sort of you know this idea of bristol black horror club it it came to me in that first year of um covid lockdown okay okay Um, and uh i think that kind of worked it's basically it's basically just me and my brother. My brother sort of takes a sort of like a a bit of a a more of a background seat, and and, and I'm sort of doing the the you're the face, you're the face. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so yeah, it's 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 the Murray brothers together doing that. Um. And really, for me, it was this kind of notion of wanting to explore horror through a a, a kind of like a, a black. Um, as well as kind of uh, multicultural lens as well, you know. So under that remit for us, we're, we're kind of like, well, we're LGBT, you know, cute, we're, we're, um, friendly, 
and open about those things. Um, there's also a kind of like a want to explore horror through an indigenous lens. Um, oh, wow. It's, okay. Okay. You know, it's this idea of like, for me, horror is deeply driven. It, you know, you know, it's the story around the campfire. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's mythology. So there is something quite magical about horror. And I know many people kind of talk about horror through this kind of lens, but I do think there is something uniquely therapeutic about horror and mm -hmm. the way in which horror um, allows us to empathize with humanity and allows us to empath empathize um, through the lens yeah. of different cultures and experiences. And there's something there's there's something truly unique about um, horror storytelling that allows us to be able to kind of um, you know step in the shoes of, of a different perspective. You know, because I, I yeah. always think like um, you know mm -hmm. if we think about the Japanese horror boom. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, man, definitely. I think you know with this current kind of wave of interest in in. In, in black horror, in horror from a from a kind of African diasporic perspective, I think we're we're able to see the same thing, which is um, you know, Tanana Reeve Jew, Professor Jew, uh, who who runs a course in in LA, uh, called the Sunken Place. Oh and, wow! Oh yeah. Out, you know, um, and I would say Professor Means Coleman as well. You know that um, it's being able to see. You know, if you're able to see what makes a certain culture tick, in other words, what what a different culture is afraid of, we we we're able to empathise with a yeah. perspective that we may not have had the opportunity definitely, to experience. Yeah. You know, and I, and I think Tales from the Hood really does like emphasise that you're, you're able to kind of see these very unique perspectives. Um, and I think very much empathise with what with what uh, you know you know our characters yeah. are going through on screen. Hundred percent. I think it's yeah. like, lo I mean, yeah, loads of great points there that I I fully agree with. Like, I think horror is great at um, le letting you experience trauma that perhaps wouldn't be relevant to to you or your your life experiences or something that perhaps you would go through. But yeah easily empathize with these characters um instantly it doesn't matter that you need to understand too much about them or what makes them tick just i think what's good is that these stories just immediately show you something and oh that's that's terrible obviously that's terrible um and you know and and here's why and now we're experiencing the through sometimes a really over the top ridiculous like certain characters getting their comeuppance because obviously in real life we're fantasizing about these things all the time i really wish that person who i hate would get their comeuppance immediately probably ripped down into a grave when they're taking a piss that would be wonderful um yeah so obviously it's, it's kind of like you're experiencing trauma but also you're like it's the the fantastical nature of it as well is also like a great ride to go along with um to yeah, just definitely. Um, you know like we were talking about earlier that it's kind of like i think it's kind of it's afro gothic it's like that you know some of the elements in the story is slightly camp um yeah. So oh yeah yeah it's kind of the elements of kind of satire 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. There definitely elements of satire. Hundred percent. Yeah. It's satire, and like the way certain characters are. Like some some characters are extreme caricatures. I mean, mainly the bad guys. Well, I say that, but it's not it's not too far from reality, is it? It's not too far from reality. I mean, that's the interesting thing. Is is uh, you know all of all of those different stories, um, I think, are still deeply relevant to to the kind of human condition and human experience and and the film you know there are some like seriously great kind of extreme horror moments in it but it's really but it's really got like a moral compass isn't it and a big heart Um, yeah moral compass big heart and like some characters that you really want to see succeed um yeah just like some like the in particular obviously the um the second the second story um with what is the second story so lovely, uh, bo- bo- boys do get bruised yeah that's um, fantastic yeah like obviously like a, a first teacher first of my yeah, story sorry, it, was, it, I, it was the least appealing story i see i see but um as an adult it's really kind of like it, yeah it's really powerful important story i think very uh, powerful but yeah the and the image the, the the kind of the the lighting in in the kids room is just fantastic again that mm. whole kind of um segueing segueing into creating a, a kind of a real atmosphere um yeah that's fantastic again yeah. even something like this you can really see how it's influenced some modern horror things like the Babadook, uh, even recent film like Cobweb, where it's just like you're fully within the imagination. Cobweb as well. You did. Oh, you seen Cobweb? Yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I know it's it, it's some people have hammered it, haven't they? But I I actually really I, I enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, that that similar kind of the similar motifs of. Um, uh, trauma in the family or experience through a child's eyes yeah it it felt like that it felt like that very like close quarters of cobweb where it was like you kind of felt like the the world was very like limited but the sort of imagination of the kid allowed you to to sort of bypass that i guess we were talking Um, about david alan greer right who's who's absolutely fantastic as the kind of toxic toxic stepdad you know um great performance great special effects which is uh it's screaming mad george who had done the the effects for for um we think about that that final orgy sequence in uh really sort of twisted body oh god yeah oh twisted body horror like the the sweatiest greasiest (laughs) bodies and limbs so i mean you know and, and and again david alan greer such a great actor um and it's actually it the director um is the school teacher so that's rusty really yeah oh wow okay okay was oh yeah see because when i clicked on his letterbox i looked at his picture and he's just like bold guy with glasses obviously he's he's gone he's gone for it i I understand (laughs) that i understand that completely i've been there man but i unrecognizable but that's awesome. So he was super young when he directed this, right? Yes. 
yeah i mean like they had they had such an incredible team really um rusty's a really interesting dude in the sense that um he's a writer actor i think he's even done stand up so oh wow oh wow so he's a real talented guy yeah talented guy um so yeah i think yeah there's something really sort of special about the way in which the film came together um I think De- Darren had actually worked previously on a horror film with, um, oh God, who's in that? Oh God, I think with Vincent Price. Oh my maybe. God, no way! One of the one of the big shots. Uh, uh, is that the producer? Yeah. Yes. Yes. I'm, I'm just. I'm literally just trying to see if I can find. From a whisper to a scream. That's the one. Yeah, that's the one. I just saw the poster, and there's a decapitated Vincent Price. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and and um, wow, you know, the film is executive produced by Spike Lee. So, yeah, um, Rusty had been in, I think he'd been in Spike Lee's school days as an actor. So when the project, oh came wow, out, okay. He asked Spike, and and he was like, "Yeah, I would definitely support that." So, really amazing sort of moment of of time. I mean, Darren, I think Darren produced Minister Society as well. So they they, oh wow, okay, they they were in the zone. They were in the zone. They were in the zone. Um, Came together. I feel like we're we're covering a hell of a lot before we even talk about the film beat for beat. So let me just do the usual stuff that I usually do on this show which some people some people might be waiting for. Some people might have completely forgotten about it and be like, I don't even need the horror news, man. Who cares about the horror news? Uh, but I'll just do one piece of horror news then um, because it's related to Bristol. So I thought, let's, let's big up Bristol. And uh, as two, two Bristol Bristol guys, let's, let's talk about this piece of horror news, which is uh, Flat Home Island in the Bristol Channel is going to be the home of a... Wait a minute. Did did you say Storm Jar just now? I did, yeah. You did say Storm Jar. How amazing is that? They're, that they're, is crazy. This is the story I've got up. You've got to get them on the podcast. They're lovely. A hundred percent. So they're crowdfunding um, an overnight immersive horror game. This is what you mentioned. I was a bit like, I kind of recognize that, but I don't know why. Um, that will help raise funds for environment and heritage products projects on the island. A twisted ghost story that combines forgotten World War One history. The Birth of Radio and the Ghost of Flat Home Island. It's called the Static Sea. Um, and it's going to focus on a radio engineer from the 1920s who served as a trench radio operator during World World War One. There's an image here which looks very striking, like some floating shapes in the Do you know do you, uh, considering you know the guys in, did you know much about, about this project in particular? Um a little bit. N- nothing I can kind of say at this stage apart from Oh it, yeah, yeah, I see. Apart from it will be it will be brilliant if it's these two guys involved. They're so, yeah, they're a class act basically, and they've got some really interesting and exciting stories to tell. Um, and from what I gather, the island is actually haunted. <laughs> so, and I've not talked to them about that, but I've seen uh, various people kind of mentioning that have worked on that island over the years. Have actually said, yeah, 
it, the, the lighthouse is haunted or one of the buildings on that island is haunted. So that's really interesting. I, I kind of, I'm kind of like wondering um, how much about uh, about that they know. But I, I really yeah. like where they're coming from in the sense of if you like the kind of, if you like the kind of sort of remedy aesthetic. Um, you know, oh, kind of, man. You know, Dude. these guys are really into like world building. Remedy. Yeah. Remedy is like I'm I'm living and breathing remedy right now. I mean I haven't got around to Alan Wake 2 yet. Have you played have you played it? About halfway through. Um, oh, okay, yeah. so you have. It's brilliant. Yeah, it's a masterpiece. No doubt. Really, really good. Uh I I don't want to spoil I don't want to spoil anything. No. I was kind of really is magic. I was kind of waiting because I am a I love a physical copy of a game. I find it always a bit frustrating when you can only get it digital. So I was a bit like, ah, maybe I'll just wait a bit and then there might be a, a, a physical release. I don't know. Um, I really hope but... they do. I think it's, it, it, yeah, I feel the same way about, as you can see, about physical media. I think it's so important, yeah. you know, particularly. I feel like that, especially with games. I think there was something like, something came out from PlayStation today where it was like, if you've bought a TV show in the last, uh, couple of years you're not going to be able to use them anymore so it's almost like buying things digitally it never really feels like you own it does it no yeah and that that, that's the part of it that i find slightly troubling you know it's this kind of idea of and then the other worry is it it, you know if we're thinking very much in relation to kind of like horror and like uh post-apocalyptic stuff or apocalyptic stuff um or it's it's all a bit children of men sort of yeah, but in the sense that you know, can you imagine? Uh, you know, if worse came to worse, you know, streaming platforms could, um, you know, they can redact work, they could change, yeah. recut films, could put oh, in AI performers. Yeah. So it's all a bit worrying, you know. And it's sort of, yeah, um, when you know, like, when will we ever? If that happens, there's a kind of. The, yeah, the I mean, be around kind of like censorship, isn't there? Really, I mean, we're getting really black mirror now, but imagine the there was a, of, imagine of the there text, like, of the film text. Yeah. What if certain certain companies had like a political, a political political standpoint on certain things? They're like, hang on a minute, this bit in Tales from the Hood where there's police brutality, never either remove that bit completely or edit it to make it look like they're actually quite nice. And, and you know it's it's sort of after the 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 Sagafra, um strikes, you can kind of see, yeah, as we're starting to hear more about the red tape and what they were fighting for, you can kind of see what was going on there, you know, a real push towards kind of like AI performers and yeah, yeah it's very troubling. you know, because you know what happens when we get to that stage. It's, yeah, yeah. It's um, it's mad, isn't it? It is mad. It's scary. But yeah, this the Stack C seems seems really cool. And like these sort of immersive um experiences and games and anything like that, live live action full motion video in in games is something that I've always been been a fan. Of. When you say remedy, I mean as I said, I've not played Alan Wake, but Control. I've literally just gone back to Control after playing it once, and now I've gone back again. Gone on. Oh, I want to get some more of that. Get some more of that control in my life, um, and yeah, I've always been a, a fan of of Remedy as well. So yeah, that this sounds super super exciting. 
yeah um anything that those guys are involved in it, it so far has been brilliant so highly recommend definitely definitely highly recommend awesome. and they're good people <laughs> which is which and they're good people maybe we, we maybe we'll uh, reach out to them try and get them on the show just even if it's just a bonus a bonus episode to talk about this project it does sound incredible um and flat home island looks it looks haunted to me i'm looking at it now i'm looking at it Daleks. that's haunted it's got a lighthouse you should definitely do it. I mean, James, Jim is, he's a cool guy. Uh, like we connected immediately on sort of some of our, well, just as we have um, this evening, you know, it's that's that similar kind of like passion for a certain kind of storytelling. Um, he's really into kind of like mythology and horror. Okay. So you can kind of, you can kind of get that with this flat home. Island yeah. Pit. I think it's you know he's really into kind of like sort of hauntology, site specific stuff, and sort of layers of fear is is what he's about. Oh yeah, I love a good, I love layers of fear. How do you get to Flat Home Island? Can you just go there? Can you just can you just get get on a little pedal boat? I think this is part of the immersion of it. I think you actually have to. I think you you know you'll have to sort of take some gear, and then yeah travel on a boat overnight i think oh my oh, god yeah. it's really like it's i'm 100 percent up for this immersive experience and that's what they're yeah. going for um the, I mean, the team. this is super cool okay that well that was a very special edition of uh of um horror news i don't know i'm gonna time code this episode <laughs> i feel like we've just been flying all over the place um that's awesome the next section is what we've been watching so i guess anything from the last seven days even anything recently that you've seen adam that that perhaps you thought was worth mentioning um what have i uh what have i been watching recently i've horror, been or horror adjacent doesn't have to be straight up horror it can be horror it's, it's kind of, this is kind of horror adjacent i've been watching loads of like uh ufo stuff because if there's if there's one thing that i'm really fascinated by uh, and it kind of links into the horror stuff is is sort of um i'm really interested in in ufo stories not from a kind of science fiction utopian speculative position but from a shit scary creepy <laughs> oh, UFO, uh, perspective you know and i just think i don't think there are enough horror films that um that that go in on the kind of ufo experience or the the kind of alien abduction i'm guessing and I just, I really just think it's ripe territory for great storytelling. I mean, I've got, I've, yeah. I've got a couple of ideas, sort of, oh, okay. which I've got tucked away, which I wouldn't mind sort of developing. Um, which are are you a of fan of? Uh, I was just thinking of a film we covered. Well, I'd say recently, probably about a year ago. Are you a fan of Fire in the Sky? Fantastic, brilliant. Yeah. I mean, that is, that is terrifying, right? That is like and that's genuinely fear-inducing. Yeah, that's it's like oh my god, no! <laughs> spooky Mulder. If scared. Spooky Mulder witnessed that, he'd be like, "I'm out of it. I'm out of the game. I, <laughs> I, I don't care about UFOs anymore. <laughs> Who cares if my sister got <laughs> got abducted? I'll see you later. I'm going for a quiet night out. <laughs> quiet night in. Sorry, and that's it. No more. Yeah, you because know, there's there's a there's a part of me that is filled with wonder around the topic. 
but there's a part of me which is just sort of um this is just ripe territory for really yeah. scary storytelling you know yeah. it's, and again around kind of like myth um mm. and kind of historicity and stuff um stuff like, like that you know, where we are in the southwest you know we've got mm. stonehenge on our, our doorsteps you know and and this kind of countryside mm. and we're you know we're not that far off from crop circles and that kind of uh, landscape, Avebury and all that kind of stuff. So I just, yeah, yeah I think that there's, you know, it, it's ripe for sort of spooky storytelling. And then um, what's something, I'm, just recently I picked up uh, that Fab Press Stuart Gordon book. Which I'm oh, really okay. Excited. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, oh, I did see this. Stuff. Yeah. December I haven't... is deep diving into that. It looks really good. Um, I love Stuart Gordon, just one of the greats. Yeah, um, oh yeah, we've covered a, a few of his a few of his films on the show. Um, is it the Naked Theatre Uncensored Horror? Is that the one? That's the one. Yeah, I think I may have added this to a to a bookmarked it somewhere where I've gone get that eventually. Um, and the other thing I picked up is I, I picked up Jordan Peele's anthology horror book. So oh, it's like I literally saw before. this earlier. I saw this. Out there screaming. Yeah. Uh, and again, the, the, those are two things I've sort of set aside for Christmas. I'll just sort of deep dive into those. Oh, nice. I picked up Night of the Ghoul as well, the Franco uh, Franco Villa. Oh, okay. I'm not aware of this, but it's very cool. Look it up. It's... And I think that's yeah. now um, the brilliant ticing of Bristol Bad Film Club and um forbidden worlds he mentioned to me recently that apparently that's now that the comic book's been uh you know developed oh it's, it's been optioned absolutely. yeah oh wait is this scott snyder yes yeah oh man and francesco franca yeah the yeah. artist we're we, we like we're on <laughs> We we seem to just enjoy a lot of the same things because that's a that's an artist I'm super into his stuff. Um, what did I pick up of his recently? And and just last year at Fort Bubble, I met Scott Snyder, got to queue up and got him to got him to sign some stuff, got him to sign a copy of Batman uh, Black and White. So, oh man, that's sweet. That awesome. that looks this looks great. And again, thank you because I didn't even know what this was. So this looks super yeah. cool. But yeah, really, just it, it's been more books than films but i tell you what i have got lined up for this evening is um talking with stuart gordon suitable flesh oh yes here is fantastic i can't wait to see it and it's huge good. uh barbara crampton oh yeah barbara crampton she barbara <laughs> crampton's as hard as barbara crampton has ever barbara crampton in this <laughs> film uh we so we got to see it at a fright fest um in in no. august it was open in film um and yeah what I, I i enjoyed it but it seems like since that people are people have come away from the festival being like that was the best film of the fest and it seems like it's got the huge like the loads of fans and is it is it on shudder i think it's on shudder now or some or somewhere um so yeah it's great and if you like heather graham as well like heather graham was someone i hadn't seen in anything for a long time but she's great she's, as well she's brilliant really really un like heavily underrated actress i think yeah She's, you know and you know the two legends on screen right so i'm, I'm really looking oh forward yeah to 
Well, I think you'll enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, it is bonkers. Definitely, it's bonkers. So, yeah, yeah that was <laughs> that was the first film we watched at Fright Fest in the second row of like the biggest IMAX screen I've ever been in, and it was literally like looking from one corner of the screen to the next to look at to see what was going on. Um, so yeah, I think you'd enjoy it. Probably is better on a smaller screen. But uh, I'm, dude, I'm gonna add that Stuart Gordon book. That's going straight in the. Christmas is coming up. People have been going. What do you want? I don't know what I want. I want this book. Yeah, there's some good. There's some good. There's some good reading out there at the moment for for horror heads. I think. Um, yeah. Like two other books I'd recommend in relation to black horror is um, Mark H. Harris, who uh, has run. I think he's. I think he's actually have the longest running black horror website. I think it's the longest wow, okay. black horror website on the internet. Um, so Professor Means Coleman, Robin Means Coleman, and Mark Harris is the Black Guy Dies First, Black Horror Cinema, from Fodder to Oscar. And again, I'm sort of halfway through that, and it's absolutely superb so far. And I will always go out of my way to mention um, Professor Coleman's original horror noir book, um, Blacks and American Horror Films from the 1890s to Present which is just, that is the oh, wow. definitive tome um, about the, the kind of history of, of, of black horror. Um, and of course, the documentary, which uh, Professor Dew was also involved in, of the same name, Horror Noir, which is fantastic. Everyone's... Oh, Horror Noir. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. It's, I think it's still on Shudder. Um, yeah. But that's just such an impressive lineup, you know. Yeah. Uh, and a very cool definitely. Tree. I think we've spoken about Jordan Peele's um, anthology book a few times on the show, um, and today was the first time I saw it in the flesh. Um, and now, just from the cover as well, like, I mean, I know it's going to be good because it's Jordan Peele, but at the same time, I'm like, oh, the cover, oh, the sprayed edges, the orange <laughs> edges yeah, of the book. I'm literally yeah, like, that's the thing that got me as well. I'm like, oh, that, that it just looks great. If I just <laughs> see a book, I'll go, oh, it looks all right, you know. If I saw the same book with sprayed edges, I'd be like, I want it right now, right this second. Especially like in a lovely bright colour. Uh, awesome, man. I mean, to be fair, I in terms of what we've been watching, I didn't... Re- uh, I mentioned last week, I've just started reading Fright Night Origins, uh, which is written by Tom Holland. Uh, and so far, really, it seems to be like a novelization of the story of the book, which I think already existed, but there's like a few extra bits in it. So, so far enjoying it because I like the film. Um, in terms of what I've seen this week, even though Andy mentioned these two things last week, I'll very quickly mention them as well because I got around to them too. We got a chance to see an early version of a movie called There's Something in the Barn, which is like a Christmas a Christmas movie set in uh, Norway. And it's like, I don't think this is a spoiler, but Barn Elves, who, and again... Gremlins vibes. There's definite, definite Gremlins vibes going on. Um, it's very festive, very over the top. There's so many Christmas songs in it that I was almost like, you, you know, sometimes just the soundtrack alone can get you really in there with a film. Uh, and yeah, it was good. It was good. It wasn't like super gory or it wasn't really like scary or anything like that. It was, it was kind of still, despite the fact that there was some blood and guts, still a pretty feel good film. But, uh, yeah, if you're looking for something to watch just before uh, the festive. 
Yeah, that's my sort of vibe with horror is, you know, I love slashers, but at this sort of stage um, of my sort of interest in, in horror, I think I'm more than ever really interested in kind of supernatural uh, mythological beasts. Yeah. The kind of spooky demonic stuff. Little barn elves. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> Little bad tempered barn elves. Always a winner. <laughs> did you see did you see uninvited as well cuz that was kind of a bit of a similar vibe like with the little red cap dudes yes um it's like an irish side of the back of a house yeah. there's kind of like there, there, there's there's like a strange kind of portal into a little yeah something like that i think i was a little bit i was a little bit disappointed by that but so i feel like this one kind of scratches that itch of really i i, I thought little critters I thought the third act of that was was great, but it kind of it, it just. I think the third act was all right, wasn't it? Yeah. Long to get there, if that makes sense. Yeah, it um, took a while. Great it? practical effects in that. I thought. Is it called Uninvited? I feel like that's the wrong name now. So I think I've, it is. I've said it. It's something like that, isn't it? Um, but that I mean that is it. I did I did manage to finally get around to watching Five Nights at Freddy's, even though that's not necessarily something I'm particularly interested in because I've, ne- I've never played it in the games, not familiar with the lore, but I thought it's a mainstream horror release. It's made a lot of money for Blumhouse. Let's check it out. Have you, have you seen it, Adam? I've not seen it yet. Um, and like yourself, I've not really played the games. Uh, so again, no. I'm, I'm not sort of up on the sort of lore of it or. Yeah. I feel like you might need to be up on the lore to kind of understand why certain things. I feel like there's a very key piece of information related to five nights at Freddy's that I didn't know. But I feel like this film reveals it probably too early, and okay. it could have had a, it could have had a lot more fun with it. I, I think the fact that it does this, it doesn't necessarily feel like a horror film. It feels, I don't know, it gets to a certain point in the film where you're like, oh, this isn't a horror film at all, and then it tries to like drag you back down to go, actually, we are a horror film, and I'm like, oh, it's too late, it's too late. Um, so I didn't didn't love it, but I don't think I I, I didn't I never expected to. Um, just based on some of the reviews I'd read, but um, a good, good sort of like gateway horror. I think it's, I think it's like rated. I want to say it's rated twelve A. I think a lot of the violence happens like off screen, but probably a good gateway horror for for kids, for the little ones. Uh, but that is pretty much it in terms of what we've been watching. I guess we've we've spoken about the film at kind of not great length, but in a way, we'll, what we'll do now is we'll try and like get into the plot. Um, and cover as much of that as we can. Um, so the film of the week, if you didn't already know, we mentioned it enough times, is Tales from the Hood, which has got a 6.5 on IMDb, Rotten Tomato score, 58% critic score, 68% audience score, 3.6 on Letterboxd, and some choice reviews here from Letterboxd users. Karst says... Genuinely one of my favourite anthology films and easily the best horror anthology I've seen. Amazed at how creative it goes about telling such heavy stories. Uh, Four and a half stars. These are out of five as well. Um, Liz says the anthology horror equivalent of a public enemy record. It's loud in your face and not afraid to make you feel uncomfortable. And rightfully so. Five stars. Uh, Benton says... How can one not love a horror anthology that details the bloody and super creative retribution of killer cops, abusers, and racist politicians? A masterpiece. Four stars. 
Masterpiece is five stars, Benton. Come on. Not four stars. Um, and then Drew Clark says, this movie is definitely the shit. Four stars, uh, which I think is fair. <laughs> um, and yeah, we've we've obviously already discussed um, our relationship with this movie. As I said, this is the first time I've seen it. Just, I, just as I said, just because I think I'm a bit late to the party with anthology movies. This has been one that's been on the list for a while, and I'm glad I finally got around to it. Um, so it's an American horror anthology film, 1995, directed by Rusty. How do you say his surname? Cundiaf. Cundiaf. I mean, that that's what I was going to say. <laughs> directed by Rusty Cundiaf. Um, so it presents four short urban themed horror stories based on uh, problem concepts that affect this. I'm just reading this off Wikipedia. The African-American community in the order of police corruption, domestic abuse, racism and gang violence. All presented within a frame story of three drug dealers buying some fine drugs from an eccentric and story-prone funeral director. You're so story-prone. You are. Well, I've got a story about that, but let me just get into it. Um, it is. I mean, that's probably the only bit that's not realistic, is if an old guy just started telling a story, you'd be like, all right, wrap it up. Come on. We're not interested in your stories. Um, but I, I could listen to Mr. Sims tell a story all day long. Yeah, definitely. And uh, Keith David's uh, Mr. Sims in, in the second one is, is great. Oh, is well. he Mr. Sims as well? He's... Okay. Really... What does that mean? So is Tony Todd like a Mr. Sims as well? Um, I can't remember how Because it works. almost feels like the anthology nature of it is like, oh, well, even oh, this yes, film exactly. is like the characters. Are... Okay. Mr. Sims is merely a concept. He's not. Yeah. He's not a man. I mean, it's unless we, unless we want to do, do, can we uh, do some big reveals, or should we not? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, all right, okay. So from the yeah, from the get go, we're going to be spoiling the hell out of this film think, if you I haven't seen it. I think you're right. I think you're right in the sense that yeah, Sims is a. You know, he. I think he can be played by any legendary um, performer. And is there anyone in particular? What I've just like, what I've just discovered is that his actual name is Portafoy Portafoy Sims. Portafoy Sims. Portafoy Sims. Which I've just just discovered yes. it in the uh, cast list in the book clip, which is really interesting. That's not even that's not even on Wikipedia. You think Wikipedia is the source of all knowledge? It's not. Occasionally not. Um, yes. Occasionally not. <laughs> my. my my relationship with the film is not just as a fan, you know, the first time I saw it I was 18. Um, yeah, and it, yeah, it did, it did blow my mind. I'm looking back at the piece that I've written here and this is, this is the opener that I'd, that I'd written about the film. Oh, wow. Oh, man, that'd be great. To and it that. goes, it goes a little something like this. So, yeah, what I've written here is Circa 95. Rusty Cundiff's Tales from the Hood was well and truly the shit for 18-year-old me, who up until that point, in my horror-consuming fanaticism, had not seen anything like it. It blew my mind on different levels, the combination of hip-hop culture, black characters on screen, incredibly cool special effects, and relatable, chilling, culturally and politically aware fables, like some kind of black horror mixtape. It had a profound impact on me. 
and it really did i mean it was it, it the you know really the first of its kind for that era but in the kind of fine tradition of 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 um, black horror storytelling up until that point um black horror that's you know it can't be sort of underexpressed what rusty and darren achieved with this it's it really is if you look at if if you're kind of like studying black horror film or you want to get a kind of like an understanding of it i would definitely say horror noir both professor coleman and like if, if we go by tanari jew or you know professor jew or professor coleman's sort of litmus test of what makes a black horror film um in, in a kind of like uh you know culturally critical uh and even for kind of like academic research this film ticks all of those boxes mm. um so so rusty was kind of like these guys were way ahead of the curve and were, were really kind of like um redefining what the, the possibilities of what mm. black horror storytelling could be um it, it, is there a place for our listeners to to read what you've written in full is it is it available anywhere or yeah it... sure um it's it's basically so to, to give this a bit more context um i was able to i was approached by bfi um oh, wow. and on the the uh two disc tales from the hood blu-ray set um I was invited to to, to interview uh, Rusty Cundiff, which was absolutely amazing. Wow, that is amazing, um, yeah. And it just one of those very lucky moments, you know. Sometimes they say, like, you know, don't don't meet your heroes, but it, this was just magic because it actually turns out he really is a hero. He's just an absolute yeah. gentleman, you know. And he's of a certain age where he's like, he's a dad. He's still working, you, you, you know. He's still he's still with it but he's at that point where he's much more kind of like laid back and he yeah. so wanted to talk about this film um so if you're if you have a chance to pick it up please do because because it's i would say just on a personal level really proud of that interview and i feel like i really did him justice so that he mm. could really unpack all of this super cool stuff that's incredible stuff that was cut from it which i would love which unfortunately sorry to the listeners but we can talk about it afterwards yeah, yeah. If, if any of you guys meet me at an event or something i can kind of like privately tell you what but, was cut don't even say hello just walk up to you and go what was cut from tales from the hood please tell me oh no in our in our interview so he oh of, oh i've got you i've got you like anecdotes and stories um, yeah oh, and that's better that's even better. That's, that's juicier. <laughs> yeah. So there's some very cool. What's he saying then? Particularly from that from from that era. Um, I mean, they just they had a wild time making this, um, and you know, I, I think he really looks back at this experience fondly because yeah. because oh, of great, uh, that, yeah. the people it brought together, the talent it brought together in front of and behind the camera. Um, mm. It was a real. You, you could kind of tell it was a real labor of love, a real kind of like collaborative effort because everybody involved in the project was like, no one's seen anything like this before. No one's done anything like this before. 
we've got to kick ass and really do something magic here. Mm. Um, and like we were saying, like you know, they certainly achieved achieved that. I think there's, you know, there, there there are other things as well where it's just that kind of like these guys work really hard on this on the script um, and and kind of on the build up, um, you know, pre and post production, the whole experience with for them i think was a real kind of like hardcore push mm. to, to kind of get it all done and, and, and um and, and really kind of um you know a script there, for an anthology yeah there's elements of like speaking truth to power there's kind of you know they really have to kind of he fought his corner just as william mm. crane did with blackula you know whether you've heard the story where um you know, he'd asked um, American Independent Pictures for a particular camera so that he could do like a cranked up slow-mo shot. Okay. Um, and he he said, he, he, he was like, I can clearly feel that there's a bit of kind of like racist tension from, oh, from uh, some of the guys on set, the technicians. Oh, but the actual guys on set, right? Okay. Demanded that camera. Um, AIP Arkov trusted him, but they made him wait. Uh. Um, but he got his camera and he got his shot, and it's probably and it possibly is the most iconic shot from the film and of that era. Yeah, it needed it then, yeah. Um, but it's it, you know the legacy of of. Uh, how much autonomy you're allowed as mm. a black storyteller, an author, you know, is um, mm-hmm. is what's at stake here. So, you know, both of these guys, Mr. Crane and Mr. Cundy, have had to had to fight hard to 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 get this work made. Yeah. But uh, the interesting thing here is, on top of their hard work, um. There's also an element of right place and right time, so you know hip hop yeah. is booming. Um, mm-hmm. there, there's a there's a kind of there's a new wave of, of black filmmaking. Spike Lee has Spike already Lee's... been for a number of years, and yeah. he's a is he a producer on this as well? Yeah, he he executive produced this. Rusty um, was also an actor. He's uh, uh, his first film is a Spike Lee joint. He's 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 in. Um, School days. Okay. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. 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 You know, he's um also you know Rusty's other film, um had done very well at the box office. Fear of a Black Hat. I don't know whether you've ever seen that, which is really funny, uh, and just a really good kind of like comedy satire of mm. kind of hip hop culture of the nineties. So he was kind of he was on a roll. You know, he 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 was on the come up, and things were starting to oh, school to go days, really well man. For Sorry, I'm just I'm just like googling some stuff. School days with Giancarlo Esposito in it as well. Last oh my god! A hell of a cast. I mean, there's so much. I mean, oh, I haven't thought about this film for you. There's I, so much I, definitely... on screen in that film, and it, it really does kind of like um, you think about all of those young performers who've gone on to do really exciting and interesting things or have really prestigious careers. You know, um, Sam Jackson, Samuel Jackson's in in. In school days as well. Um, oh, is he? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I suppose it was super, the, super was early. The, that was his yeah. first performance. One of one of his early ones. One of his. 
Yeah, because sure. yeah. Goodfellas, nineteen ninety, was he? Is that when he popped up? Is it Goodfellas he pops up in Samuel Jackson? I, I would say that. mid mid to late mid to late eighties, right? For Sam Jackson, I'm sure. Yeah, well, I think I, I was just saying. I think 1990 was the first time I'd seen him in any film, which, which was Goodfellas, even though he's not in it a lot. Um, but yeah, so School Days 1988. So wow. Oh, yeah. So, um, so it's, it's this kind of like the, the the motif I think that makes it that also passes that kind of litmus, litmus test of what is a black horror film, um, mm -hmm. and it really is about um, kind of creative autonomy. A kind of talent in front of and behind the camera, so mm -hmm. means of production, um, and and literally being able to call the shots without any interference, um, of which these guys had to really fight for, and they stood their ground, and they did it, you know, and and back to that thing of you know, they they prepped and worked really hard um, on the build up to the shoot, but then you know all of these other things these timely things kind of happening right place at the right time. So the cast, mm. um, the, 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 the talent as in their crew, um, the music of the time for the yeah. soundtrack, you know, um, for them to be able to get, to have, you know, big hip hop stars at the time. Um, and then also in the, ta you know, the, the talent, uh, in the sense mm. of, you've got I forgot how to pronounce their names, but the I think it's the Kyoto brothers, Chioda brothers, Kyoto brothers. Who oh yeah, the Killer Clowns yeah. from Outer Space. I don't think I've said that. Is. I don't think I've said their names out loud before either. They, 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 <laughs> did the, they did the puppet work. Yeah, which is just absolutely phenomenal stop motion. Yeah. So then uh, they did they did things like, well, just yes, yeah, so obviously critters as you previously mentioned. Um. Yeah, loads of loads of like stop motion stuff as well, which uh, which again I think is a great sort of effect to use in something like this because it's so unnerving, like the uh, the effect. But yeah, d d definitely. I think when you say about it capturing like the zeitgeist of a particular time, um, like the nineties and stuff, I think when you watch a film, this you can really feel it because it feels like everyone's on top of their game, and it doesn't feel like it just feels so honest, doesn't it? It just feels like it doesn't feel like something pretended to be something else. It feels like honest. It feels like it understands this culture, understands these stories, understands the music, just everything that sort of is included. There's a level, and it, a level of authenticity to it, and and you can you can you know you can feel the passion. Authenticity is correct. Yeah, you, you know you can you can feel the passion of that project in you know the world building as we were sort of yeah. talking about earlier. It's it's. It's all there up on screen. You know? Yeah, and, and it's it's awesome that Spike Lee is the. I mean, <laughs> I shared this. I shared this this clip with my friend the other day. Uh, I guess have you seen the clip after Green Book wins the Academy Award, and these two <laughs> yeah. these two British uh, journalists say to him, "What did you think about Green, Green Book?" He said, "Are you are you British? Are you British?" And he said, "It wasn't my cup of tea." His <laughs> yeah. His laugh after that, okay. I was crack, I was cracking up. Um, <laughs> it wasn't my cup of tea. Just love it. I love it that he said that because, like, some people would have just gone, "Oh, yeah, well done, well done, Green Book." Uh, but he's gone, no. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, awesome. So obviously the the wraparound story is called Welcome to My Mortuary. The trio of drug dealers, Stack, Ball and Bulldog, they arrive at Sib's funeral home to purchase some drugs from him. Uh, he claims he found the drugs in an alley and safely stored them in mo- in his mortuary. Um, and, he, and he basically asked the dealers to help him get the drugs. And throughout this wraparound story, they started just losing patience, essentially, with him because he's like, oh, I've got a story here about this dead body. Um, oh, come on, mate. Wrap it up. God, I keep saying that tonight. <laughs> I keep saying that. <laughs> um, and yeah, and these stories are related to the bodies which are there in the mortuary. Um, and... The first casket is is a boy is a guy called Clarence Smith. Is this the one where they say they recognize him? That's the next one, isn't it? The when they say they knew him. I think that's the second one. Thinks so. I think so. Yeah, I think it might be the second one. So I think on this one, um, so obviously this is a story about Clarence Smith, and it kind of flashes back, I guess, to um Clarence is a young black police officer and he's being taken with by his new white partner, Newton <laughs> Newton Hauser, incredibly German surname, uh, to the scene of what initially appears to be a routine traffic stop as a well-dressed black man um, by two white cops. Um, so, yeah, obviously this deals with a hell of a lot of um, very, very heavy topics from the get-go, doesn't it, in this first section? Yeah, and, and it's it's what's the I think it, I think his name's Windshauser. Um, yes, he's strong, and he's a real. Uh, we we can cuss on this podcast, can't we? Oh yes, he's he he's a real asshole, isn't he? <laughs> like, oh, he could have gone heavier than that. Like huh? a, a mean, nasty cop. Um, yeah, and it's just and it's really great casting, and all of these guys. Um, mm. There's there's. I forgot the name of the documentary, but there, there's there's a great kind of behind the scenes, you know, making of Tales from the Hood. It's well, it's called Welcome to Hell, the making of Tales. Oh from wow! Oh, there's uh, like a whole documentary about the yeah, making there's of it. Fantastic interviews with these guys. Um, Amazing. And the guys that play the, the the white cops were like, we we so wanted to, you you, you know, call out this bad shit that, that that's mm. taking place. And they really yeah. put their hearts into it. Because I think anyone involved on the project was really kind of, you know, it was it was a it was a moment of consciousness shift again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if we think about this particular story in relation to what did take place just as COVID hit the world, you know, Black Lives Matter. Um, there's some there's you know, there's some really kind of chilling overlap. Hmm. That's again, yeah. That's why you you see that when you when you see a story like this, you kind of think, okay, I I understand everything that's come before this point, but the fact that it's like still relevant, like what twenty for, getting on for thirty years later, um, is fascinating, really, isn't it? Yeah. Um, because the because the guy that they pull over, um, is. Martin Ezekiel Morehouse, who's a city councilman, black rights activist, um, and basically been trying to eliminate police corruption in the city. So the officers you got, obviously got like the ringleader guy, uh, and the ones who kind of just go along with it. Well, they're all they're all just as bad as each other, really, and, aren't they? Yeah, this, and, but... and Tom Wright's a, a great a great actor. You know, it's I tell you what, he's a, a very interesting anecdote. Is that um. 
uh, Dawn Gilliam is 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 acting in this, has like a small role acting in this, and she's like, you know, now. I mean, all these guys were young in this in this film at the beginning of their careers. I mean, she's no longer an actress, but you know, she's one of Hollywood's greatest um, mm. continuity experts. You know, she's she she worked on um, all of the Star Wars films, Black Panther, um, and she's oh, wow, okay. You know, she's at the peak of her um, of her career. Absolutely superb at what she does. I mean, oh, is she in the? I would even recommend um, checking out her website, The Art of Continuity. So oh, she, yeah, wow, she's okay. a, real kind of, a, a real legend. Um, and she's just, she kind of just yeah. turns up in this in, in a, a bit role as uh, one of the journalists interviewing oh, the, uh, okay. the, the, the kind of Ku Klux Klan politician. Uh, mm. Yeah, amazing. So there's all these like sort of interesting historical moments where you you know you're able to kind of like track people's careers um, in really interesting ways, which I think yeah is quite amazing. Yeah. Um. So yeah, obviously Clarence is while he's just in the in the car sort of doing a background check. Um. Surprised he didn't know who he was though, didn't it? You feel like he would. Did he just? What did he say? Does he say like he he recognized him and then? He just had to go, had to go and search to say, "Oh, hey, hang on a minute, stop." <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's a bit, yeah, a bit of an odd one. The fact is, like, obviously, they that they use too much force immediately by like, just like smashing his head through the window, um, and then they all take turns sort of like beating him up, hitting him with their night nightsticks. Um, yeah, I mean, it's pretty brutal and. Just one of those one of those scenes is pretty pretty difficult to watch. Um, Clarence comes running over to try and stop them, and of course he's visibly distressed and he's trying to trying to get at um, the main police officer who is who did you say the main pol- police officer is played by? Uh, Wings Wings Hauser. Wings Hauser. What From... a name that is. That is a great name. So there's Wings Hauser, and then there's also an officer Newton Hauser, right? <laughs> okay, so they've gone. Hang on a minute. I love your surname. I think you you do great as a. And that's character actor uh, Michael Massey, isn't it? He's just got he's just got such a great face. Um, he's the guy that gets. Uh, yeah. Oh really yeah. When he gets. His, um, oh man, I had to rewind that and watch that again because that was a, a great effect. He always plays creepy dudes. <laughs> yeah. He's just got one of those amazing faces. No disrespect to him, he does it well. Uh, um okay so essentially what what happens so they obviously clarence manages to like stop them beating him up but then they say we need to take him to a hospital and the officers like sort of agree um and then smith says he that they should be reported for what they did but the officers are not to break the code and write each other out there's an interesting line here where who's who is it who says to clarence that they say his dick is green because he hasn't, because he hasn't been on the like, your dick is green. You haven't been on the streets long enough. These guys have been risking their lives year after year. So it's almost like it's interesting to kind of understand erosion of morality, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, something. Yeah, that, that, yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. Yeah, the to be on side, you must be complicit in our actions of crossing yeah. 
time and kind of cutting corners and, and yeah. using their power and authority mm. um and a kind of and, 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 and there's you know a kind of tragedy to that brutality which is you know these are men that have just they they've let their kind of consciousness and their consciences be eroded and mm. compromised you know yeah and it's, and it obviously it's, puts puts clarence in a very like well super difficult position isn't it where do i immediately like what is it is it first first night on the job do i on my first night allow these morals to immediately like to, to align with the morals of these people like on your first night on the job like that feels it's the ultimate insane. moral conundrum isn't it and it's the thing that i think most most good human beings fear yeah you know you know when when people are forced to have to make these really kind of compromised yeah. or uncompromising decisions and it's sort of which I think is always a great kind of, um, you know, story, um, mo you know, motivator is that kind of, that, that kind of moral mm -hmm. blurring of the lines. Yeah. You know, cause the question you ask is what would I do in that situation? Would I, would, would I be able to kind of. Yeah. And I mean. Ground and, 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 and call out that injustice or would you just kind of, you know, I think everybody thinks that yes, of course they would, but and that's not to say I wouldn't. I'm just saying it's very different when you're in that situation, um, because maybe, yeah, I mean it's just yeah, very difficult when you're in that situation because obviously Clarence would be thinking in, in this situation about his career, about his livelihood, um, about sort of wanting to to, to make it as something he's worked hard for, obviously pr probably for a lot of his life to become a police officer. And now already, this is quite what makes it the best vignette, the best opener for you know because the stakes are so high. Mm. Yeah, the stakes are incredibly high, and we see pretty much immediately um, what taking one decision seems to seems to have in store for 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 Clarence. So yeah, so essentially they um, take him to a hospital. Uh, well, they don't take him to the hospital. They take him to the docks um and strom shoots morehouse up with some of the heroin that he newton and billy have been dealing and then right in that last moment says to him as well you were right um something you've obviously been striving working against police police uh corruption you were correct about the, de the drug dealing we have been doing it plants him in his car and then pushes it into the water with uh, morehouse still inside um and yeah and essentially the press just label him a hypocrite so it's not only that they've killed him they've taken his life but they've also taken his reputation and and destroyed that that as well and again, which... and again of course you know that that's is a like a profoundly significant point there you know that that's not exaggerated i mean we know that that's happened throughout history to kind of um mm. uh black organizations um corruption of the LAPD if we mm. think about um yeah of course you, you know the history of that it's quite a bold statement is the opening it's quite a bold... <laughs> it is incredibly bold statement isn't it yeah it is and I'm sure it would have ruffled some feathers you know uh 
which again, t- talking about horror, I feel like horror should ruffle feathers. It should be the thing. Like a lot, I, I hear a lot of people say, "I'll keep politics out of this and that, keep politics," but it's just like politics, by its very essence, is like humanity. So, you know, I, I think all... horror is innately political, though, isn't it? I mean, it, <laughs> yeah. It, it, no, it, it is. Yeah, nature yeah. is confrontational, so it's you know, and it's about um, pushing the boundaries testing our mm. our sort of self-awareness and i think as like political like lines become more present in 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 sort of everyday life i think horror has done a really interesting job of really sort of like focusing on them almost like sometimes poking fun at them um in a way which which i think is good too because i think by poking fun at them you're still encouraging conversations about these things aren't you even though you're kind of like joking with the um you know i'm, I'm just thinking about like slashers and things i've seen seen recently uh where s- certain people have put per- certain political persuasions for example are either portrayed as the evil side in horror or sometimes portrayed as as, as the good side so it is interesting. It's really interesting how politics kind of works in horror, and especially with something like this, where the politics are so, um, so sort of like in, in, intense and 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 very hard hitting. Like we're supposed to think, okay, I'm even as a viewer of a film in 1995, I feel like I'm already being encouraged to make some sort of decision about like what, what where do you stand morally in this, and that again how many how many sort of genres of films do you kind of feel like you you have that pushed upon you immediately and it's it's in, it's, it's it's great really isn't it yeah i think I mean, that's the hidden joy of horror isn't it is that is that it kind of we're able to you know for 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 an hour or two we're able to walk literally in someone else's shoes you know mm. um i i always think like a, a possibly another good um uh, another film that I feel has a similar sense of sort of world building um, and kind of aesthetic position is um, People Under the Stairs. Where's Craven? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Like a great double bill with, with, with Tales, I think. Yeah, I think so. I think it's got it's a similar sort of era, ninety one, isn't it? We cut, co- we covered this film. Um, I don't know when we did that. It was a little while ago, I think. Uh, but yeah, definitely, definitely. I feel like this, this could easily be That's a vignette. Finest. In yes, um, Poindexter. <laughs> That's it. That I think that came up in a quiz or something recently. And I I couldn't believe I knew the answer. That's Poindexter, I remember. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I feel like it definitely feels like it. So the next part of this vignette is a year later. Smith's left the police force. He's guilt-consumed. He's drunk. Uh, he's walking around the neighborhood. He's hearing the voices of Morehouse. He's hearing, uh, a, he's, sorry, he sees a mural of him. Um, and this obviously is incredibly, incredibly great shot where he sees morehouse um crucified saying bring them to me um yeah this is obviously a very a very intense um visual 
as well but it's great like it's really well lit it looks it looks genuinely pretty pretty terrifying and smith manages to convince the three police officers to meet him at morehouse's grave on the anniversary of the murder um these police officers haven't learned a goddamn thing one of them's had a haircut that's it <laughs> that's it but again you, you know back to that notion of sort of, of means of production and production value you know it's you're hit with a huge pyrotechnic there as well mm. Um, the production value is fantastic, I think. And like you'd said, that 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 whole street section with the ghost of um is so beautifully lit mm. um and, and and shot. It's yeah, it's fantastic in this in the sense of sort of practical effects, scale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well the it's world building the world building is great yeah um and you can already see where this is going to go at this point and i think that's when you start to really think yes come on uh, <laughs> so obviously they kind of like belittle clarence a little bit obviously because it's just it's one of these moments where you just feel like this is like in terms of justice and everything like this is just so unfair that the one person who wanted to do the right thing that night is the one who's now is living such a terrible existence, just like racked with guilt, um, just drinking, drinking his days away. Uh, so they insult Morehouse to the point where Strom just says he's going to take a piss on Morehouse's grave, which I think even shocks the other police officers, doesn't it? Even yeah. the other police officers are like, oh my God. Um. So yeah, yeah. he starts yeah. doing that and he starts berating the others to kind of join him. Uh, and I mean... I've never pissed on a grave, but I get, I get fear enough standing next to someone in the urinal and having to need to pee. Let alone standing next to someone and then pissing on a grave. God. Well, it's, you know, it's it's about the the um, desecration of the sacred, isn't it? And it's sort mm. of you know after they've harmed and and killed this man, you know that that there's such little respect. Yeah. Him being it's it's that desecration it's almost like how much further can it go because they desecrated they they desecrated him his physical body then they desecrated his his reputation and it's like how much further can it get they're willing to take it even that step further which is to yeah. desecrate his grave um and it's when you see actions like this from characters moment, really just like... which kind of like is the conduit for supernatural payback yeah Supernatural justice. Hell yes. Um, so, so I think the other two are getting ready to kill Clarence, aren't they? They're going to kill Clarence. Um, but the zombified Morehouse bursts from the grave, drags Billy beneath the ground by his probably still urinating penis. Uh, and then Morehouse bursts from the ground in like, <laughs> I mean, literally Billy's still beating heart in his hand which is insane and again in another film you could be like okay that's ridiculous that's a bit silly in this i think i was like holy shit holy shit um the cops start firing firing at him they yeah some great, uh, some great practical makeup effects as well yeah genuinely like gruesome and i guess this kind of this reminded me of that 
um sequence in in Creepshow as well. The the one with the um woman who hits the hit, that is Creepshow, isn't it? Where she hits the yeah. hits the guy and hit the zombified version of like comes after her. It felt like that with the sort of um the chase sequence as well. Um he jumps on the on top of the vehicle, decapitates one of them with his bare hands, which again is 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 incredible. Um and I think one of them jumps out, shoots the shoots the gas tank, and the car explodes, but Morehouse is still he's still coming. Um chases Newton down into an alley. And That's he, a great know, yeah, yeah. Doesn't he fire like hypodermic needles at his body as well? Yeah. So obviously like, the way that they killed him, which was um getting him to overdose on on heroin it was like the, the visual of that here's the like the most extreme version of that right back at you and there's, um, there's a great shot uh, uh um there's a great bit of shot construction there with the um camera into the mouth if i remember yeah. rightly yeah 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 yeah, there's loads of good, there's loads of great shots in that, isn't there? Yeah, and obviously this is the moment where Newton's body melts into the mural. This is very society, isn't it? With just the the flesh melting into, and then the painting on the wall. There's something there is something like inherently creepy about like paintings and like the thought of someone being trapped in in a painting. There's something, oh, yeah. something about that has always has always been really effective. Um, so yeah, I think that works really well here. Um, and in the zombie Morehouse accosts Clarence, asks him why he didn't help when he was being beaten. Um, and I guess, yeah, the, the, that story is kind of him asking Clarence, why didn't you help, is kind of like asking us as the audience, like, yeah. why didn't well, why didn't moral... you help? Why What would you have helped? Yeah, um, that, moral, that moment of moral compass, isn't it? Yeah. And the then Jack, we get the final... Which, which drives him mad. Which drives him mad, yeah. Which again doesn't feel fair. Like even though we get karma in a way, well, I say karma in its very loose sense of the word, but still uh, retribution on the characters who committed such acts. Still, like an innocent character in this, as well as Morehouse, but an innocent character still goes mad, which is, which is, yeah. I guess it shows that in in all instances of this, there are victims. Yeah, that yeah, absolutely. That you know, everyone's everyone is damaged explicitly or vicariously mm. from, from acts of, of abuse of power. Yeah. Violence. Um yeah. there are two orderlies outside the cell, they mentioned that he killed the police officers and that he used to be an officer himself. Um so again, Morehouse's reputation forever tarnished, and so is so is Clarence. The police, I bet, I bet everyone thought they were they were heroes, but they were given a yeah. It's a dark, yeah. It's a dark tale, and the way you know the way it ends. Um, yeah, I think it's it's at that moment where you know that this is going to be a, a potential yeah. unrelenting journey. Yeah, and again, one of those stories where you know, um, uh, a person who's quite sort of in terms of Ezekiel, uh, sorry, Martin Ezekiel Morehouse, a city councilman, black rights activist, somebody who was clearly quite high up in society who had achieved so much, essentially his, his reputation, which was sullied, which was dragged through the mud. It's it, literally, no matter what he's achieved in life, 
he seems just because of the color just because of the color of his skin in death he is is given no more respect than than sort of anybody else and these police officers again just because of the color of their skin despite everything they did are kind of treated yeah that their leg the let the difference in the legacies is 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 obviously a very it's just an interesting i say interesting it's not interesting in a pleasant way but still it's an interesting like standpoint uh, interesting note for this particular uh vignette to end on i think yeah it's a pain it's a painful tale and i think it's kind of it's letting you know um that you're in for a bit of a roller coaster ride and that it's not going to pull any punches yeah i mean straight from that into a tale now of of domestic abuse so obviously in terms of the wraparound story i think the the guys stack ball and bulldog they basically think mr sims is crazy and they're like we're still we still want the drugs can you find them please oh just got another story about their body i just got to tell you the story about a boy named walter um and this one is boys do get bruised uh so walter johnson quite a sensitive boy transfers to a new school he's got bruises on his cheek and eye but uh walter's teacher richard garvey notices the bruises talks to walter um i think initially he thinks it's the school bully doesn't he yes and the but the guy has bullied Ty- i think the bully's called tyrone he has bullied walter but Walter says the bruises came after I was attacked by a monster. Yeah. And I think initially in this particular thing, and I know we obviously already mentioned things like Cobweb and even the Babadook to a degree, very different story, of course. But initially we think, okay, it's definitely supernatural. We're we're in the middle of a horror anthology. This kid says it was a monster. It was a monster. There's no way it's anything else. Um, so I think that's a really interesting way to kind of like set this up where it, gives us the expectation of something um and then the reveal is is obviously incredibly metaphorical but still great i think isn't it yeah it packs a it really does pack a punch um and really powerful bit of storytelling and um i love the way so the director plays the the, the school teacher mm. oh yeah and yeah, Rusty plays it so lovingly. He's just a great role model, isn't he? He's a good guy. Um, and and you kind of you you're rooting for as things are sort of slowly revealed to us. Um, we're kind of rooting um, for the boy's mum, for him. And the kind of teacher does, yeah. That there's a kind of hope that something might hmm. might work out for them. Because you end up thinking, yeah, like, this, he, he's such a nice guy. You know, like um, maybe they'd make a good couple. Or yeah, know. well, you kind of think that when lovely. when when he when he initially goes around the house, Sissy seems like she's she's all over him. And I, I was a bit suspicious nice of her guy. initially. Yeah, I'm a bit suspicious of her, thinking that perhaps. She there was something about her where I didn't think maybe she was always entirely innocent in all of this. Um, of course, it does turn out um, that she is. But yeah, so Walter's drawing pictures of of Tyrone. He's drawing pictures of the monster, um, and Walter explains to to his teacher that he can overcome somebody he doesn't like, such as the monster he keeps talking about, by destroying an image of it. Um, and he crumples 
I mean, this is pretty nuts. He crumples up the image of Tyrone, and then after that, we find out that Tyrone broke both arms and both legs. <laughs> and then, is there another teacher sort of saying, "How could it, how could that even happen? Like, even if you just fall over, like the chances of you breaking all four limbs." Get okay, yeah. a little wink to the screen from Walter, not literally, obviously. Um, so he had a teacher. So uh, Richard Garvey visits Walter's mother, Sissy, at, starts asking about the monster. Obviously, Sissy starts calling in Walter, and the teacher's like, "I just want to talk to you, really. I didn't wasn't really here to to involve the boy." Um, she just says, "Walter's clumsy," um, and don't reveal anything about the monster to anybody else. Um, is there is was there a scene? I couldn't remember if I missed any of this, but was there a scene where Richard confronts the boyfriend first? Did I miss that? Or maybe I because he because he comes home, doesn't he? Um yeah. Yeah. Oh, he comes home and then initially berates Walter for drawing the pictures, doesn't he? Um and yeah, and then like obviously the the, the true extent of the domestic abuse is revealed he's literally punching them both in the face he's takes his belt off he's literally whipping uh sissy when she's trying to intervene to protect her son um yeah and this he's, is when... he's, a, he's a horrible character and it's that i mean i think that's where a genius bit of casting with david allen career because he's just not the person that, that, that you would ever associate with a character like that so it's a great bit of casting against type yeah, um, yeah, 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 definitely. As I said, I think he's a he's primarily like a comedy comedy actor. Yeah, I mean, we we would we would more often than not associate him with much sort of like warmer, friendlier. Yeah, David Allen Greer, that's his name. Well, listen to this: Candy Cane Lane, the brand new Christmas film starring Eddie Murphy. He plays Santa Claus. There you go, <laughs> and in real so life. The, the irony is, in real life, if, if you ever get a chance to watch him on uh, like talk shows or anything, he's such a lovely bloke. Yeah, he's sort of. You, you just couldn't imagine him being, uh, you know, so evil. Yeah, very evil. Yeah, um, yeah. So obviously, this unfolds. Richard Garvey comes to the house, tries to tries to get in, does get in, uh, tries to intervene, of course, but. Carl's having none of it. Carl uh, knocks about Richard Garvey as well. He's just a, yeah, just a, just a bad egg. Um, so yeah, it's quite a long fight sequence. Carl like knocks Garvey to the ground, knocks him out, and then he's pretty much ready to. Seems like he's ready to like kill Sissy. Um, but yeah, Walter, it does, yeah, it does feel like it's it's approaching like a yeah. It's gone too far. Like the teacher's involved, you've attacked the teacher as well. This teacher's aware of what's happening. This in the ultimate act of 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 something of violence yeah, like this. It's gone too far. Yeah. Um. But yeah, this was the moment where, I, I mean, I literally couldn't believe this as I watched it unfold. So, um, Walter grabs the drawing he made of the monster, and first of all, he just does one big fold over one arm. And as Carl is lifting up his arm to, to like, what was it, a frying pan? When yes. he's lifting up his arm to frying pan Sissy to death, his arm breaks. Um, and it's almost like, <clears throat> it's almost like you're urging Walter to just like do exactly what he does, which is fold it more. That's the next arm. 
and then he just screw watching watching him screw the paper up and then just going we're gonna cut to Carl in a second to see what kind of mess he's in he literally turns into like a big well he starts twisting around again the effects are amazing twisting around and he turns into a big blob of limbs and blood yeah and clothes clothes and it's just Clo- like yeah his head in like a sort of bundle of yeah broken... i love the teacher's face as well when he just sort of like comes realization of what is actually happening um yeah and then as walter screws up the paper sissy walks over and stomps on it and that is the killing blow the killing blow for carl um and then they burn the paper as well and that's it that's the end of that one. And again, uh, incredibly hard hitting. Um, but again, it feels like, yeah, these are these are very intense stories where the oppressor in each story does get their comeuppance. So in a way, there is like a fantasy element to it. Well, of course, but it's still incredibly satisfying when we see it sort of all unfold. Um, yeah, so, yeah. That- it's particularly satisfying isn't it because it's such a um it's such a kind of kind of high camp satirical end for for such a genuinely nasty villain yeah oh, i um, love it when that happens i love it when you see sometimes when there's a villain in something and they go oh he's got shot oh they just fell off a cliff or something you go no i want to see i want to see him mangled i want to see their corpse mangled um, which we do see because Carl's burnt and mangled corpse is revealed to be inside the coffin. Um, and yeah, this is where we get the, when they close the casket, there's a doll that falls off a nearby shelf. And this is the next story. Um, it's no ordinary doll, but a vessel <laughs> for a lost soul. And this film's called KKK comeuppance. I feel like you could just literally see the title of that and you go, I feel like I know exactly what's going to happen in this film. Um, so this is a, a character called Duke Metger, an obnoxious and highly racist Southern senator and a one-time member of the Ku Klux, Ku Klux Klan. What's that? Member of the Ku Klux Corbin, Klan? You want to co- co- Sorry, Corbin say that again. Played by Corbin Burns. He's a fantastic character actor. Yeah. He's he's just on fire in this in this vignette. He's he's fantastic. Bernstein, yeah. I mean, it definitely comes across, doesn't it, that that he is this this character through and through. Um, so he's filming a campaign commercial. Um, you see, there's protesters outside his office. Jewish and African American groups have teamed up to protest against him for being a racist, former Klansman. What's that? You're a former Klansman, but you want to become a senator? That's fine, isn't it? No, no. <laughs> Isn't you'd it, feel like, you'd feel like if that came up on like some sort of form that you had to fill out initially. Have you ever had any prior connection to any sort of well-known racist groups? No. Yeah. You, you can't be a senator then. There we go. What's, uh, no. what's really interesting is, is, you know, so far all three of the stories that we've, we've kind of like unpacked, they're all in some way, they're all in some way kind of either historically relevant or very mm. relevant to the now. I mean, yeah. you know, that's basic. I mean, that could basically be Trump, couldn't it? I mean, it could be Trump. So, I, I definitely thought that, that there were some some sort of parallels between between those guys. I was thinking Trump. I was also thinking the uh, 
the the like who's that former Ku Klux Klan leader who seems to always be is it David? I can't remember what his name is. But he always seems to be in some like in, in the public eye in some way. I don't think he's he's in involved in anything politically. Um I know who you mean, but I'm not gonna say his name. He look he looks quite similar. <laughs> yeah, maybe don't say his name. He kind of looks similar, doesn't he? He's got a similar sort of look. Yes, yeah. And I th- and I'm and I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm sure that that Corbyn had kind of based, yeah. You know, so there there is a story there in the sense that the actor didn't want to obviously obviously didn't want to use the M word, um, mm. and, and and Rusty, um, and Darren had to kind of encourage him. And they got they they they'd actually um, yeah. in that particular take they got him into such a frenzy that he just kind of. You know, he improved uh, the the word, which is actually in this context is brilliant. It's really funny. It's it's very cleverly used, and it's impactful um, in a in 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 a really kind of like darkly humorous way because it's it's really revealing. What they worked guy... him into a they worked him into a racist frenzy. This actor. <laughs> And I don't well, want to. I don't want to. Apparently, as soon as as soon as it as soon as Cut was called, he was just like, "I'm I just please, I'm so sorry." Like, but I just knew that this is what you wanted me. This is where you wanted me to go with this character. But he's right, going, we got him, guys. This is not me. Yeah. You know? Um, and again, you know, it's um, the way in which he uses the word. It's so obviously. Um, layered across gremlins. Oh right, okay. And that that's what those guys were going for. They were sort of saying, yeah. you know, like, uh, yeah. As, well, as well, he says, you know, like, look, um, demonic creatures or little people. Yeah, horror films that were, you know, critters, gremlins. He was like, this is so obviously, you know, these these guys were like, this is so, this is so obviously meant to be, you know, a foreigner. Or a person of color, or a black yeah. person. So we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna do our own spin, uh, yeah. like gremlins or critters. Um, which I is, like how isn't it? again, just awesome stop motion. Oh yeah, it's great effects. Yeah, definitely fantastic. Definitely great. Um, but yeah, I like it how the true nature of Duke Metcalf is kind of like drip fed to you because initially we kind of see how he portrays himself to the press. Um, that he's like obviously trying to step away from his past, I guess. And then even to the point where he's, when he's trying to make his, make his like um, promotional campaign video, it isn't until he's pushed to the very brink that like, it feels like his true nature is allowed to really come out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, he's gone right. That's it. Um, So he's filming a, filming a campaign commercial. The protesters are outside. Um, and essentially, the 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 Eli, there's one individual called Eli who tells the reporter that the plantation. Oh yeah, so essentially he lives in a house which was uh, he sets up an office. Sorry, an old slave plantation previously owned by his ancestor Nathan Wilkes, um, and it's haunted allegedly by dolls animated by the souls of Wilkes's previously tortured slaves. Um, I say allegedly, but obviously it is. But I say allegedly in this in this instance yeah um, uh, yeah well because you're one of the news crews you know going right news crews everybody listen up 
This plantation, this former plantation is haunted by the dolls that are animated by the souls of previously tortured slaves. And you go, I don't think so, mate. Um, do you mean for real? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so he's, and again, this is interesting because he has got, um, he has got a campaign running, mate. And it's his image. And he, he, here on Wikipedia, it says his image maker, um, which we're all familiar with. Rody, Rody Willis. Um, so he's gone. I can't be a racist. I've got black mates. Is what he's doing right now. My, my, uh, my campaign assistant is black. I might have been in the Ku Klux Klan, but unfortunately, I've moved on from that. Fortunately, sorry. <laughs> um, so yeah, but then there's a there's an awful moment where they're trying to film this video where Rody just like trips at the top of the stairs, falls all the way down. And dies. Like we see his head smashing against the wall. Um and when they're watching when he when uh Duke is watching the video back, he sees one of these little dolls on sort of like right at the top of the stairs. Almost like that doll is responsible somehow for that. Um Quite a creepy so, yeah. reveal, isn't it? It's a very creepy reveal. So good it yeah, I guess like on I know mentioned signs already. On a par with that sort of signs alien walking across the alleyway sort of thing when we first see that just like the fact that it's on a videotape and you can kind of like pause it rewind you're in control of that reveal i thought it was great yeah um so yeah i think we we hear the story about wilkes who obviously is duke's um ancestor and apparently he so he said that they all of all the slaves were going to be freed at the end of the civil war but then flew into a murderous rage and massacred all of them there's a there's a painting oh wow oh wait is that in the yeah in the, in booklet. the booklet so these are some of the um some the of the faces in development stuff that's cool it's, it's really effective like it is really terrifying I've, I've always kind of been a bit creeped out by stop motion anyway but especially stop motion of like just a little doll coming towards you. Um, so there's a big paint on the wall of Miss Cobbs, uh, the hoodoo witch, apparently, who transferred the slave souls inside a number of small dolls she created. Um, and in, in the painting, she's surrounded by the dolls themselves. Painting, um, again, is, yeah, used very well. Mm. So apparently the dolls are still in the house. Uh, I think we see one of the dolls under the floorboards as well. Um, yeah. Obviously, we've already revealed Rody sort of stumbles, falls down the stairs. Um, we see the funeral. Um, and I think even at this point, they're like, the, even the press are like saying, you should just move out of that house. It's not it's not a good look. <laughs> and he's gone, nah, it's fine. Someone's died in it, whatever. Uh, um, and he sees one of the dolls, doesn't he, after the funeral as well, doesn't he? And he pulls over and throws the doll like, out the window into the street. Um. We've obviously already mentioned seeing the doll. Uh, oh, yeah, the blank spots on the painting. That's it. As soon as the dolls are kind of like seen in real life, these blank spots appear on the painting, almost like they're coming out of the painting and coming to life. Again, this is great. I love the painting stuff in the previous um, vignette as well. Sorry, the first one. I thought that was all really effective. And again, something super creepy about like paintings somehow being alive. Um, yeah, I mean, again, that, that, that's is kind of oozing hammer vibes yeah. isn't it? or amicus vibes yeah most definitely 
Um, and then we get the big fight sequence, of course. Um, the, the doll is alive, running around, attacking. Yeah, a wild I mean... bit of, of character acting there. Really, really Yeah, because I guess he was just like in the room on his own. Just It's fighting. really hard. But, it, I mean, like, um, Darren and Rusty have got, uh, have got really brilliant senses of humour. So I think they really enjoyed that sequence. Mm. <laughs> um. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems it seems that way. It's pretty powerful stuff. Again, it's it, it's another kind of um. <clears throat> pardon me. It doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't pull any punches. Again, no, it doesn't. It doesn't pull any punches. It's it's very intense. Um, it's a very sort of like entertaining sequence as well. Just despite obviously everything that's that that is tinged with, um. But yeah, it's it's inc- it's incredibly intense. Um. He dam- He also damages the painting with the flag, and the painting starts to bleed. Like all of the imagery that go alongside this, uh, beating like a doll which is possessed by the spirit of of a former slave with the American flag. Like it's some you might think like oh that's a bit heavy handed in terms of imagery wise. I mean literally as, as well, but. I mean, I think it's within the context of this and this film and powerful everything. Satire. I think it's it's powerful, yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, yeah. So what what kind of what kind of happens next? All the dolls kind of um come out of the painting essentially, don't they? Oh, uh, he starts getting a shotgun as well. Um. And he has a big old <laughs> rant, big old rant at the painting at one point. I think yeah, when when it officially. All comes to a head, and all of his racism is right at the top, bubbling and boiling. That is when it all comes out, and he kind of rants at the painting. And then there's, yeah, it's kind of like, um, it's a literal return of the repressed, isn't it? Mm. In 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 the horror tradition, but it's kind of like a return of the, it's a return of the repressed and a return of the op- oppressed as well. Mm. Really, kind of. Um, yeah, it's kind of like a powerful. Hmm. I mean, the visual of all the do- all the all the doll images, all of them fade into white as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so all the dolls essentially attack him. I don't know. There's an here an army of dolls, uh, and while he's sort of like getting, they're all sort of literally eating him, aren't they? Literally eating him. Yeah. Um you know tearing him to shreds yeah so um, not a great way to go out is it uh you know murdered by an army of possessed dolls it's not a good way to go out adam it's not i could think of <laughs> i could think of many other ways i'd like to but perhaps but perhaps for duke metger it is a good That's way for him to go out absolutely what he deserved yeah isn't it um, um, after we sort of, after we could see that he was, he was more than willing <clears throat> for his, um, you know, for Rhodey to die in the way that he did. <clears throat> you know, he's he, he's a he's a scoundrel. Mm. A scoundrel. I think that's a yeah, <laughs> it's a good way of putting it. Um, okay, so after this, after this story, oh yeah, Miss Cobbs disappears from the painting as well. She manifests in the room. Holding the doll in her arm, satisfied at the carnage taking place. Um, yeah, so the ne- 
in the wraparound approaching the end but the wraparound with the dealers now they've grown impatient they're not wanting to listen to any more of mr sim's strange stories um but then born notices a corpse in the other room alerts the others to see it uh and then he asked mr sims asked him if they knew the man inside the casket and bulldog says it's just someone they've seen around their neighborhood but then mr sims explains the final moments of the man known as crazy k um and yeah i guess what's kind of interesting in this is that in terms of the oppressors or the antagonists in each of these sequences um <laughs> first sequence police police officer second sequence some like a domestic abuser third sequence a racist politician and here is where we're approaching something again which is a, a an interesting topic of conversation for for this film to be having which is black on black violence um in terms of a again maybe a maybe even more so i mean feel free to to, to correct me but even more so of a difficult conversation to have in this realm would you say um, yes, yes, and and no, in the sense of on a personal level, I think it I think it's an amazing way to 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 finish mm. up the film because it ties okay. all the different kind of um themes um and the kind of kind of complexity of the kind of haunt you know, it's it, it really is a film about the American nightmare, isn't it? And it's mm. about kind of it's about uh It's about unpacking all of the different complexities of American society from top mm. to, from from sort of top to bottom. You know, police corruption, corrupt politicians, um, domestic violence and abuse, um, and kind of gang culture and, and black and black violence. And it's, I think, it, I think it's important for it to end in such a way. Um, mm. And it's it's kind of like a bit of a homage to um Clockwork Orange. Yeah, yeah, you mentioned that, didn't you? And this is like super, super intense. Like And we've got I think when a Dr. Cushing. <laughs> when a film when a filmmaker makes you genuinely feel the feel like the main character, like you're you're going through every single instance i mean the sensory deprivation thing is is insane and again another one of those things where i'm like how did they film this with <laughs> without literally driving this guy nuts because it's insane yeah, i've actually i've forgotten the name of the um of the machine it's called like a transmogrifier or i, I can't remember now is it something to do with like training gyrosmodulator oh my god <laughs> Is it something to do with like training to be an, training to be an astronaut or something? Is that a real thing? Well, that, that it was that was a real thing. I mean, he was put on that kind of gantry and and, and spun. Um, oh, absolutely horrific! Really intense. And that uh, the um, the montage sequence is really powerful, mm. just showing the kind of history of violence. Um, of, yeah, of, of the American nightmare to get to this point of kind of crazy K. So it's kind of like dystopian, this is more sort of dystopian. It is kind of dystopian because even when he gets, even when he gets led into this room, sorry, sorry, Adam, didn't mean to interrupt you there. When he gets led into this room, literally chained, wearing like 
tiny pants. Even this thing feels incredibly dystopian. It's like, what? <laughs> this isn't like this. This can't be. This can't be real. And then obviously, like the ways that they torture him are, are dystopian as well. Um. So yeah, obviously, Crazy K is a hardened gangster, homicidal psychopath, killed many people. Um. He is driving down the street. He encounters his rival, uh, who he pursues and guns down. And in retaliation, it looks like it says Lil Deke's associates shoot a Crazy K. But before they can finish him off, the police arrive and gun down the attackers. Crazy K, bad, badly injured but still alive, is arrested and sent to prison, serving a life sentence without parole. Um, and yeah, I wasn't sure of the time jump here, but it was about four years, apparently, with Dr. Cushing. Uh, how would you, how would you, how would you describe Rosalind Cash, yes. Legend, if you, you uh, know, yeah. Mega Man. And, um, um, yeah, Rusty just said it was amazing to work with her and she was just, you know, phenomenal. Consummate pro. And she passed away that same year, 1995 as well, it says. Yeah. Wow. So it's quite, quite a moment. Um, yeah. With a legend, you know, a legend of the screen. Um. I always just think she's fantastic in, in Omega Man, even though I don't like Charlton Heston. It's a great film. Yeah. Um, um I think I've only I think I've only seen it once, but I do I do love that story. Um we're getting I Am Legend 2. We're getting I Am Legend 2 as well, aren't we? Apparently yeah. it's gonna be be the DVD the DVD ending is gonna be canon. Will Smith's still alive. Um apparently Michael B. Jordan's in it as well. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Again, you know, like a dystopian, apocalyptic and post-apocalyptic cinema I, I love as well. Yeah. Uh, Definitely look forward to that. Something like a good end of the world story. Oh, yeah. To really, <laughs> to really get you feeling like Christmas is around the corner. <laughs> I'm feeling ever so festive. Somebody stick on I Am Legend. <laughs> um, so, yeah, essentially... Dr. Cushing arrives at Crazy K's prison cell and tells him they're going to he's going to put they're going to put him through an experimental trial and you'll be released from prison if you agree to it and complete it. I think Crazy K is like, yeah, all right. Like he doesn't believe at any point he's going to be let out. Um then an inmate is like put next to him who's like a a white supremacist. Yeah, he like talks about does he talk about just like the end of days for for black yeah, people does he say that? Again, really quite disturbing. Mm. disturbing stuff but it, it's almost sort of saying is there any difference between this guy and a crazy k yeah and i guess it's just that is something that are, are you serving the same you know self-destruction mm. that this guy wants to met out on you anyway so yeah. which is you know um it's that notion of sort of which is the greater evil yeah, and obviously when he gets close, and it also strikes me that Crazy K maybe hasn't ever come across somebody like this. I don't know why I was getting that sort of feeling, as he punches him straight in the face. The man obviously seems to be spurred on by that. Um, he asks Crazy K the race of all the victims that he killed, and says, "I bet it was, I bet it was black guys." And he says, "Well, he doesn't say anything, does he, Crazy K?" Um, and then the man says, "I'm fond of you. I like you." And yeah just the point you made then are they serving essentially the same the same not not exactly the same narrative but something fairly similar um 
and Crazy K gets told Dr. Cushing that she purposely put him there to meet someone who's just like him. Um, she's been hired by the government to administer a rehabilitation process on him in the hopes to change his ways. If he fails to redeem himself, he will rot in solitary confinement for the rest of his life. Um, so yeah, this torture method is he gets real life concerns in in, in the states. You know, they're they're ongoing fire points of real kind of tension, of real kind of tension in relation to social justice. So it's sort of again, it's it's the film in its entirety. It's an incredibly powerful film, and it's able to kind of traverse all of these really dark and scary places um around topics that have real world consequences mm. but you know darren and rusty are, are, are kind of masterfully um taking taking us along on this journey where we you know we feel as if we're pushed to the edges of what of what we would normally be able to kind of tolerate or process yeah. And they, and they, and they, you know, it's deftly done with just the right amount of dark humour. Mm. Well, yeah, because obviously this particular scene where we see images of like real life lynchings, uh, KKK members, lots of just lots of incredibly brutal powerful, violence. Powerful um, yeah, well, they they cut his hair. They put they cut they cut a K into the front. It was, don't they? Yeah. So this gyroscopic modulator, which for anyone who doesn't know what that looks like, it does almost look like something that you would be trained as an astronaut in, where you're sat in something and it just spins, but in a way worse because you're just like almost like flat in like a coffin, just spinning around, spinning around. And obviously the the visuals, and yeah, very clockwork orange, where you're being forced to watch these visuals. Um, and yeah, so after that, he gets put into a sensory deprivation chamber. And this is where, obviously, it's very, the lights are, it's very flashy. It's very, um, what word am it's, I thinking of? Kind of like a strobe. Strobe effect. That's, that's what I was thinking of. Thank you, Adam. Um, yeah, it's very stroby. And it's just like the souls of the people he's killed, obviously. And then initially he thinks that they're actually there. But then included, then there's friends and an innocent girl. And she says, like, a bullet flew into my bedroom. And he says, what does he say? He says like bullet hasn't got a name on it or something like that. You were just at the right place in the wrong time. And I was thinking in her bedroom, <laughs> like she, yeah, no one even offers a rebuttal to that. Um, these, and that's the tragedy is that these things happen. Yeah. And I mean, he does hint at personal abuse in his childhood, but, he essentially refuses to accept any responsibility for his crimes. Dr. Cushion says, you won't get another chance. Um, and as he refused the opportunity to redeem himself, crazy case transported to the moment where he was shot. And this is, a, I guess, is supposed to suggest maybe all of that was not real. Maybe all of that was in his head, in his final moments. Um, and he gets killed by three gunmen and they leave his corpse in the street. Now, the reason it's, it's, key that's free gunman is because this wraparound with stack ball and bulldog they're revealed to be crazy k's killers in i would say that is the first of first twist in this particular talk tale <laughs> but then this final sequence has a lot a lot of twists 
flipping awesome. It is what it's one of the greatest kind of uh denouements, final acts with a couple yeah. of really good shockers. Because Sims, even though like yeah, he's a bit quirky and a bit uh a bit of an oddball, he doesn't feel threatening in any way. But as soon as he starts into this sort of like monologue where he's sweating and shaking and telling them that yeah, well, how it how it's revealed, like it's it's so intense, but how it's revealed that everybody looks into these corpses. They've obviously had enough of him. They're like, right, show us the drugs, we're sick of this. Um and he leads them to look at these free closed caskets where their reward is. And as each one opens it, it's their own corpse. You're already dead. It's a great, it's a great reveal, isn't it? It's a great reveal. Yeah, I was pretty cool. I was, I was right there. I was super engaged and I loved it. And as I said, as I'd never seen it before, um, Luckily, I don't know how I've avoided. You know, you know, since you haven't seen a certain horror film, but you're kind of like familiar with it because you've seen clips and and things. I'm so glad that I hadn't seen this particular clip for some reason. Um. So yeah, each of them, their own corpse is in each of the coffins. They've been dead all this time, and then it's a fantastic sequence of um, <laughs> Mr. Sims turning into. The devil, a devil, Satan, Satan himself. Like the effects, are, the effects are amazing, right? Brilliant makeup effects by yeah, it is screaming mad, George. On, on, on it is that final, oh, wow. and he he really kind of goes all out. It's actually um, so the funeral home is actually hell. He's Satan. You're all dead. Uh, the walls of the funeral home like shatter to reveal like fire around. and this is great. This is super nineties. But I love it anyway. Super nineties music video, but still. Um and that's it. They're left to burn with all the tortured souls. While Satan laughs. <laughs> and I think I laughed as well, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it, and, and that's uh, like for me, that's the kind of the, the, the genius of it is that under any other circumstances, it it's like a really depressing ending. But the way in which the way in which Rusty kind of handles it with with, with real kind of gusto and humour, um, and obviously Carrots Williams III, who's just such a great actor. Mm. Um, I just love that this moment as well, like the most shocking, over the top, ridiculous moment, is saved right for the end. I feel like if we would have got it in one of the previous sections, perhaps this would have been, oh, we've seen it all before. We've seen it before, but this is just like. Yeah, it was it was pretty mad. Um, yeah, we've gone through that with in, in quite a lot of detail, but I feel like we had to. Uh, I guess what we got to do, we got to rate the film now, Adam. So as one of your obviously you've got a, a great connection to it, we rate it from A to F. Pluses and minuses are available. Rate good or rate bad? <laughs> How would you rate Tales from the Hood? Well, I'm going to be. Um probably a little bit biased on it but um yeah i think it's magnificent i really do think it's a film uh that that does you know it's a cult classic and it deserves every accolade um because it's it's a film of many firsts um but it's also a film that 
um, is is part of kind of a pre pre prestigious timeline of of black horror storytelling. Um, and I just think, yeah, hats off just for that, really. Um, and on on top of the fact that it, it's really a film of its time, it's it's got some of the it's got some of the great horror special effects artists of that era. And you know, for these guys, you know, they've gone on camera saying it's some of their finest work of their of their careers. So it really is oh, wow. a unique, a, a unique and uniquely special film. Um, yeah, and I, I think like what you know, as you were saying earlier, it's one of those things whereby if you've not had a chance to see it yet, it's it's you'll be pleasantly surprised. Yeah. I think because so. it, 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 yeah, it's a real thrill, and it, it, you know the the world building, the atmosphere of it, it's great. And on sort of repeat viewings, that's something I'm, I'm definitely more drawn into. Is these very separate worlds that have that have been mm. bespokely created, um, but you know the wraparound just keeps it yeah. centered. You know the pacing of it's good. It doesn't. Mm. You know, there isn't a moment where it kind of feels like it's, it's kind of lagging in any way, or it's quite a it's quite a svelte beast. Oh yeah, it? definitely, most definitely. Like it was like one one hour forty, which is a decent length for like a film of this, of this magnitude anyway. But yeah, it just it it definitely has great pacing. It's the right gonna... spots. Are you? Does that mean you're going for full full marks? Is, is um, possible? Yeah, I'm going to go for full marks. I'm going to go for full marks on on, on tales from the hood, um, and a not plus? Just, and not just because I'm kind of like, uh, <laughs> a, a kind of kind of biasedly leaning towards it, but it really, yeah, it really is a standout. So standout. a plus, a plus, a plus, yeah, a yeah. plus. I like it. I personally, so I would. It's rare that I would go as high as an A, especially for a film that a that I'd not seen before. But I'm just trying to think about like how I compare it to things like to things like Creepshow and the Twilight Zone movie, like uh, like in terms of an anthology, um, which I think is kind of fair to compare them to things like that. And I don't know. I just feel like each story with this had so much more weight. The wraparound story was so much was better. I kind of understood the stakes of it a lot more. Whereas I think Creepshow and Twilight Zone movie are good, but I think it's kind of like just an excuse to see a kind of cool idea in sh in a shorter form and i think i rated those films kind of like b b plus so i probably am gonna have to go in the a territory i'll go for a minus simply because this was the first time i'd seen this film so obviously i don't know what my expectations were going into it i don't know if i had sort of a, a huge personal connection to it beforehand Hence the fact I'd never I'd never seen it before. So yeah, I reckon, but I reckon A minus. Which to be fair, for a first time watch for me on this podcast, is got to be one of the rarest, <laughs> rarest A's. Usually, I usually the A's for me are like the ones that like I don't know grew up with and 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 uh, I reserve it for like my favorite films. I think I did give an A to a couple of new releases this year, but yeah, I think Tales from the Hood A minus for me. Yeah, it's, it's solid. It's solid. And, you know, like you said, um, you know, you know, holding it up to other kind of legendary anthology mm -hmm. horror films, it, 
you know, it, it, it doesn't just hold its own. It kind of, yeah, it, it very competently kind of stands on its own. Yeah. Something really unique. I, I think even with a lot of them, follow- it's got like a, it, it's got, um, it's a, you know, you can, you can feel kind of, uh, little kind of touches of Romero. Mm. You can find little kind of touches of Carpenter. You know, there's elements of it that are Carpenter-esque that are Romero-esque, but it's definitely a Rusty Cundia film. So I think he's really, he's achieved something of of, of real kind of, you know, it's not just a fun film. It's, you know, it's got, it's a real kind of cultural value. You know, and I think that's why it stands out as, as a cult classic. Yeah, most definitely. I agree. And I will be recommending it to, you know, people are, people are like, oh, you've got a horror film podcast. Can you recommend us a film? Oh, well, I suppose The Exorcist is good. <laughs> no, I've got, this is going on the list for for things I'm going to recommend, especially like as an anthology, because probably don't get as much love as they should do anthology films today. So, uh, well, Adam, thank you so much for, for joining us. Where can our listeners find more from you and the Bristol Black uh, horror club online so um you can check out our website um and th- there's going to be some updates coming up uh, a bit of an overhaul of, of the website um for the new year um there's a few things on the horizon nothing i can kind of it's a little bit top secret for the time being but you can kind of catch up with us on uh twitter is probably the best platform mm. or x as it's known now is probably the best platform uh to to kind of like find out uh what we're up to but um yeah i kind of just sort of wind it down for the end of the year what I, what i would say is for for um bristol residents there's a cables and cameras event coming up at the cube it's going to be the last one of the year i think there's going to be a um we're gonna have a raffle prize with prizes because it's Christmas. Um, and actually, love a I, raffle. Yeah, seriously, I think that there's gonna be like stickers and posters and um, some some Blu-rays. I actually think. Oh wow! I was from the hood one and two. A sealed copy will be part of the uh, the raffle for that as well. That's so, exciting. That's so exciting. that's um, it's December the fifteenth at cool. the Cube. I'll um I'll put the links to you know your website to Twitter and yes, and, and and that event I'll put that in the show notes no problem. It'll be a fun night. It's just I mean, it's not like um a horror event, but uh it's just a really good showcase of short Bristol films mm-hmm. uh, uh by by sort of regional and Bristol filmmakers. So oh, cool. we've got like a science fiction awesome. film, great science fiction film, a really fantastic and very funny short film called sticks of fury which is hilarious um basically oh, older dude tries to take on younger dudes at street fighter oh at street fire oh. with hilarious never gonna outcomes. end, never gonna end well, is it? <laughs> it's really good so yeah it's just like a, a really nice sort of like mix of of great sort of short films actually the older guy the older guy should have the thumb action down yeah yeah I it's grew good. up with these things. That's what you I, should I, say. I don't want to say sort of too much, but it's really worth okay. checking out. Very funny. Awesome. 
I'll put, yeah, as I said, I'll put links to all of that in the show notes. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. If you enjoyed the show, become a patron over at patreon.com forward slash horror hangout. Thanks to our current patrons. Thanks to Taj Easton for our theme, theme music. Thanks to ACAST for hosting the show. Please consider giving us a rating or review. And we're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, and Discord. That's everywhere. Uh, and next week, Bram Stoker's Dracula. One of my favorites. Slight change of pace. Uh, but <laughs> slight, well, actually, yeah, slight change of pace. Uh, looking forward to that. And then we'll we'll be, uh, I don't know if any everybody has seen yet, but our Christmas, sorry, our December lineup is out. We're going to be doing Black Christmas as well the week after. And then rounding off the week, uh, sorry, the month with a with a big quiz, big horror film quiz, which is always fun, which is always fun. Uh, but Adam, thanks again so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It's just, this is, you know, um, brilliant. You know, please, please have me back to talk about horror. Oh, most definitely, man. Most definitely. Um, 100%. It's been great chatting to you. Loads of really interesting stuff. Loads of great anecdotes. Um, yeah, just really, really fascinating stuff. And again, even though I enjoyed the film, I think sometimes talking to someone else who loves it loads, it kind of gives you a whole new understanding of the movie um, and a whole new love for it as well. So, yeah, definitely. Um, awesome. Thank you so much, Adam, and we'll see you soon. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye now. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.